My name is Patch. I can't tell you my last name. I can't tell you where I live. But I can tell you that this is The Axe Files, the show where a handful of weirdos talks all about the Animorphs books in order. And I'm joined by the most wanted criminal this side of the Andalite homeworld, it's Vivian. Book has already destroyed many of my head cannons. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, we're also joined by the most elegant street on Earth, it's Kate. Hi! Uh, I'm glad it's destroyed your head cannons. No! <laughs> Why must I be here just to suffer? <laughs> Andalites do not eat with their butts. We have confirmed this. You no longer have to worry about this. They do in my heart of hearts. <laughs> Even if they don't do it in the cannon. Um... <laughs> Well, as listeners might be able to guess, based on their discussion so far, it's New Book Day. <laughs> new Book, New Book, New Book, New Book! Hey, yeah, yeah, yeah. Already and better book than the into... previous one. Yeah, 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 yeah. We're getting the real sci-fi stuff now. Yeah. <laughs> like, don't get me wrong, a big dust monster made of particulate creatures is sci-fi stuff, but this is the real sci-fi stuff. <laughs> it's our first <laughs> book totally narrated by Axe. Uh, I guess technically the first book narrated by Axe was Megamorph's one, because he did a few chapters. He, he, <laughs> he did, like, one chapter more than Tobias, which ain't saying much, because Tobias had three chapters in that book. Yeah, we basically <laughs> learned nothing about Axe from that. So. Yeah, it, it's really just like him being like, well, somebody had to, like, be here on the ship for when Marco also got here. But this Pretty is like... And, some, and somebody had to also know that Rachel was alive, but then get captured before being able to confirm she was alive. <laughs> but this is like a book about Axe having internal struggles. <laughs> he's, he's doing a lie. And a lot he, of them. He's, do, he's doing a lot of lie. And doing a lot mm -hmm. of... Uh, doing a lot of mistake. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, so, this... what is the name of this book? I think, did you mention that? I have not gotten into my little okay. pre-book summary yet, so let's okay. go ahead and do that. This is Animorphs Book 8, The Alien by K.A. Applegate and Michael Grant, cover by David Mattingly, released June 1997. The tag on the cover is, he's only human, when he wants to be. Oh! <laughs> I would argue that even when he wants to be, he still isn't really good at being a human. Well, he's only Andalite. <laughs> whenever he's not only human which is like honestly Andalites will say that's like better but it's not yeah there, and, there's also like a lot of like our race is superior here in nah, this book Andalites are like exactly as prone to making mistakes and being dicks as humans is it's a uh, it's a problem I would argue more so uh, Andalites is space cops yeah but uh, humans did the holocaust <laughs> And slavery. <laughs> and, uh, uh, just, like, general, like, the, I mean, America did the Jim Crow stuff, and America's humans, mostly. So, you know, it's like, hey, I, I don't want to compare. Let's just say <laughs> they're both, they both have the potential to suck. Let's just, let's just be humble times. here and <laughs> encourage humility from all parties. Uh, mm, okay. There's, you know, yeah, there's a specific thing in Pork Bajir Chronicles that makes me think that we are still the least of the bad guys, but yes, okay. <laughs> I I know what you're talking about, 
and like fair, but also humans can't do that because they don't have the technology to. So, <laughs> like, I guarantee if they did, they would. Yeah, probably. All right. Um, yes. So, one thing I want to mention about this cover, I believe that this is done deliberately, but it's kind of misleading. So, normally, when the cover shows the morph progression, it shows the human version of the character in the back, and then the morph sort of overlays forward until the animal is at the very front. In this case, that is still true. The human is at the back, but because Axe is an Andalite, like, it, 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 it kind of implies the other thing. A casual reader might suspect this was a human turning into a weird deer thing, and I think that that is a deliberate mislead. Oh, that, but... that's exactly what I thought was going on with it, it being like, oh, that's actually his real nature or something. Is, <laughs> so, so here's a question. Is Axe's back weird? In, like you don't you, you you see how like the uh, his back is tangent to his elbow. It seems like it's coming out oh, yeah. more than it should. Oh yeah, yeah. Now his back now is you on that, like an yeah. eighty degree slope down to his. <laughs> yeah, like right where like his arm, like where his like elbow is, is like there's some of his back that's just at a weirder angle than the rest of his back. <laughs> like yeah. right near his like front legs. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It looks uh, like he has like a camel hump. Kind of. <laughs> uh, the internal cover is much less interesting than they usually are because it's just this guy in a school. So yeah, uh, well, I mean, he wants to go to school. He wants to be he, a real boy. He does. He does. Well, uh, the the only thing the hallways are empty, which like it's true. Yeah. Um, and so that's that's kind of weird. But I, I do like the expression on his face, because it's kind of like, uh, what's going on here? Where am I? What am I supposed to do? <laughs> yeah, he, he's, he's like the guy looking around the empty place meme or whatever, just going like, okay. <laughs> no, it's it's just the, the expression on his face that I would have like pictured in the book, you know, in the scene yeah. that this is talking about. <laughs> yeah, especially when, like, when Axe is in human morph, he's usually just having a bunch of sensory overload going on at all times. Yeah. <laughs> like he's never he's never really at this point already been like okay this sucks this is what being a person's like you deal with this every day <laughs> doing the whole like damn you live like this every day guys <laughs> yeah uh and then the internal cover quote is look who's talking so <laughs> i guess we're uh still in the era of those talking baby movies um, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> The last thing I wanted to mention before we dive into the book proper, I said during our last book, The Stranger, that that was the final book reprinted for 2012. That was apparently incorrect information, because this book does exist as a 2012 reprint. I don't know what went wrong there with my research information, but that is entirely on me. And uh, as usual, the 2012 reprint cover is just garbage. Um, that oh, no. is... Uh, uh. <laughs> it's like he has like weird cat and bird eyes <laughs> yeah I mean <laughs> it's not as disturbing as it could have been yeah that's true it could have been way worse but <laughs> I also don't know why X looks like um a like high school quarterback in this picture his <laughs> yeah, neck is as he, wide he... as his head is <laughs> <laughs> like you get that they're like clearly showing him like between morph with some of his skin being blue and the rest being like 
like, I guess Caucasian, mm -hmm. but, like, he definitely is also, like, lighter skinned here than in the amalgam of the four kids picture they use for the, the old cover. Yeah. 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 Uh, <sighs> I don't know who... I don't. I mean, I think. I think that it's not necessarily like they didn't make an amalgam of the of the four other models. I think that's like a separate person. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, like, it, I mean, it clearly has to be that they didn't just like yeah. try their best it's, to like ninety CGI four yeah, kid but models I mean, together. At, at least they chose someone who kind of would conceivably look like a combination of all of them. Uh, yeah. In 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 the sense, especially that uh, he's he's not white. Oh, this guy yeah. is. This guy definitely yeah, is. Yeah, I, I mean, like, yeah, like, ha like half the kids that he is composed of in Human Morph were, are white, the other half are not, so it's like, yeah, he probably shouldn't just be pure white. Yeah. <laughs> like, he is in the reprint. Well, they, just, they describe him, him as, like, having, as having, like, in the book, they describe him as having, like, dark skin. Uh, mm. darkish, you know, like, um, so, I don't know, that's, that's weird. I don't like that cover. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's not great. Uh, the only other thing that I have to say about this book is that it did come packaged with a bookmark. I have not been able to find an image of that yet, so I'm going to keep searching. Hopefully I will have that for you next week. I but... remember that bookmark. I've had that bookmark. I don't know where it went. I haven't <laughs> seen it in a very long time, but I distinctly remember that bookmark. <laughs> it's It's you... If you'd seen what, it, you would remember did, it for did, sure. <laughs> what the bookmark look like? I remember... I actually don't remember it very well. Oh, no, that's right. It had a bite taken out of it. Mm -hmm. Like, yep. there was a there was a punchy thing where you could rip it out, and it was basically like, oh, shit, Axe ate this bookmark. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so I'm, trying, I'm trying to search for it, too, now. Uh, all I'm just finding are different Animorph book covers. Uh, <laughs> also... Also, some little, like, I guess, fan-made ones of, like, this is what the different alien species look like. And also, here's one of Tobias as a red-tailed hawk, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, you so think it'd be easier to find that for you, but... It, you think it'd hang be on, in, in, this, in this Animorphs bookmarks thing that somebody made, Andalites are their usual, like, light bluish coloration, but Visser 3, for some reason, is, like, purple. <laughs> That's well, weird. Well, evil, you see. Well, but yeah, aren't, yeah aren't, you got to distinguish him. <laughs> so generally, whenever we see a purple and a light, uh, it's a it's a it's a female. Oh. The lady, the lady and lights. What are what are purple? <laughs> so okay, so Visser Three is trans, is what you're talking. Yeah, about. yeah, exactly. Much like Device. <laughs> <laughs> they also have shorter tail blades, though. That hmm. or like. Uh, the Yerk just got in there and was like, no, I use he, him pronouns. I don't care what this Andalite does. Yeah. <laughs> Although uh, we, uh, we we will learn more about Mr. 3's host later. So <laughs> We sure <this> will. <laughs> in this book or later on? Uh, later. Okay. So, yes, let's go ahead and jump in. Uh, this book has a prologue, weirdly, but we're going to pick up with Axe in space before he ever lands on Earth. Uh, so we open with Captain Nerefir bringing his dome ship back into real space because they've been in warp. Um, <laughs> Axe is here on the bridge of the dome ship, which, if you'll recall, is a giant dome on top of a stick that sort of floats around horizontally. Um... <laughs> It's ridiculous There's... looking, but it also vaguely implies the shape of a tree. <laughs> to be fair, there is no horizontal or vertical in space. 
I guess this is fair. Yeah, there's really no. It, it just moves down. exactly the opposite way you would think it would. Is all. <laughs> okay. Yeah. It it it's it's positioned perpendicular to its like vector of travel. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, uh, Axe has never been on the bridge before because as a, an apprentice, he's always been in his quarters or on the dome. So I guess they don't have training facilities on this ship. I don't even know why he's on the ship, but whatever. But yes, he is here on the battle bridge and. The fact that it's called the Battle Bridge tells me that K.A. definitely watches the Star Treks. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like, you would think that they would just call me to like, the command deck or something. Well, the Battle Bridge is separate from the command deck, is separate from the bridge. They're all... Come on, she's writing a sci-fi series, <laughs> and she was doing that in the 90s. She definitely watched Star Trek. There's no way she didn't. <laughs> I mean, I mean like... literally, the, in, a, in the first few chapters, they go and watch a Star Trek movie. So, yes. Yeah, we'll talk about that. Don't <laughs> she, has, she has literally the most possible cred as a science fiction nerd. She's literally writing one. And, yes. and so, like, I don't know. You couldn't convince me she didn't watch Star Trek. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <sighs> Yeah, well, I mean, like, <laughs> it would be an interesting pick to not. But yes, so ultimately, Axe shouldn't be on the bridge, but because he is related to Elfangor, he's getting special privilege. He's, like, Arisths, Arisths, A-R-I-S-T-H, Arisths, should not be on the bridge. Hmm? Arist, I think it is. Uh, no, I, I think I, I think nowadays they call I think nowadays they say Arif and not Eris. Eris. <laughs> I I don't know if the I've, is coming through. Yeah, that's no, the I've problem. Been, no, is that, oh, no, no, no. I, I, I'm be, I'm being a jerk and doing a Final Fantasy reference. <laughs> but yes, uh, more to the point. Axe uh, once ran into Captain Nerefir with so much force that he fell over and bruised one of his eye stalks. So, uh, <laughs> not great, but. And his direct line here is, everyone loved Elfangor, so they had to tolerate me. The story of my life. <laughs> <laughs> so he's a lot more, um, like, we don't see this side of him when he's not narrating, but he's a lot more self-deprecating and uh, really clear about his place in the world when he's not. So <laughs> he also says that if he lives 200 years, he'd probably still be Elfangor's little brother. And I want to know, like, is that an exaggeration or an indication as to how long an Andalites live? Uh, and can we tell anything by that? Because is he talking about Andalite years? Is he talking about human years? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I did notice that too because, like, when like other Andalites, like a few like paragraphs that later uh, will be like, oh, in in Earth time or whatever, like mm-hmm. Earth weeks, or okay. like we're this many Earth miles away, and it's like, so are you referring to Earth years here or Andalite years? <laughs> I, I feel, I feel like, I feel like Axis is translating this for our benefit. Yeah, that's what I thought. I mean, it's it's much like how, like, in Mass Effect, people are like, oh, did you hear that you know, Commander Shepard was brought back to life after two years? And it's like, I always think back to the uh, Awkward Zombie comic yeah. of, like, what the hell is what a year? What the a year? It's like, how the fuck <laughs> do I know? <laughs> like, it's like the Solarian and the, uh, one of the, like, the little, like, hamstery-looking guys who, like, the Breaver Mass There, There would probably then. be, like, a Galactic Standard Unit of Time. You would think, uh, yeah. Maybe it's just coincidentally very similar to an Earth year. Yeah, it's like, oh, weird. Even on the Andalite homeworld, we have a 24-hour cycle of the day and night. Uh, we have three, a calendar I of mean, 365 maybe, and, a, and a quarter days. Maybe it's like 350 
or 300 and yeah like close like, enough <laughs> 73 or something like that it's like oh is mm-hmm. this decently close <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, yeah uh, so they are coming up on earth now that they've dropped out of z space which is also called zero space which is how they travel faster than light they basically jump into z space and then back out it's very much the warp from 40k like there's it's, no demons yeah. Except de- depressingly empty of demons, unfortunately. <laughs> I mean, they already have a bunch of yurks in the galaxy. I feel like they don't need any more bad things out there. Oh, you really don't know 40k, huh? Um, <laughs> no. <laughs> the only 40k I've ever experienced is I rented the the like the 2012 uh, Space Marine game on the 360, and I did not like it. <laughs> in, 40, in 40k, everything's bad. Everything's all bad. I, I, yeah, I got that at the least, yeah. <laughs> Let me put and, it this way. My faction in 40k are the most relentless capitalists ever heard of in history, and they're the closest thing to good guys out there. Except Yay. possibly the Tau, but they're also possibly authoritarian tankies. So, like... Uh... Yeah. <laughs> the fact that we're willing to buy your planet before we blow it up makes us the good guys. <laughs> <laughs> I just play demons because I want to lean into it, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's that's a good enough reason, yeah. <laughs> um, yes, so Axe kind of chats with uh, Elfangor about seeing Earth and how he didn't realize there'd be so much water and kind of asks for permission to go down to the tail, but uses a demeaning nickname for the captain when doing so. And I guess he's just publicly broadcasting instead of DMing yeah. his brother, yeah. because just, the captain hears this. They're kind of not consistent with how thought speech works, really, in this series at times. Because it's like, again, like it's established like you can broadcast everybody nearby, or you can DM a person with thought speech, but I guess Sax is just not bothering to not be rude to the captain here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but also it's like, the, 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 the demeaning name is Old Hoof and Tail, which like, okay, sure, that's, that's parts we all have, whatever, I guess. The only thing about it that I feel is vaguely insulting is Old. The rest of yeah. it is just synecdoche. <laughs> I, th- I think that as Andalites age, their hooves and tails, like, wear down. Um, and I remember some kind of reference to that, possibly in the Andalite Chronicles. I think it's like... like it's Yeah, like the, it's, that it's, makes it's, sense, yeah. It's, it's like the, uh, the Andalite equivalent of calling an old guy, like, old gray hair or something like that, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I guess. But even that is just like a physical descriptor that I don't know is necessarily an insult. Mm-hmm. I, I mean would do it, it because you use people's names, but Well, I mean I don't I don't necessarily think it it's necessarily an insult to an Andalite either. It's like something that could be interpreted as one, but uh you know, Nerafir says that he likes the name. So yeah, you know? Yeah. I mean, he does say that, but on some level, I think he's just messing with the new recruit who already beat him up by accident. <laughs> yeah, but it yeah. wouldn't make any well, sense for him to do that if it was, like, definitely an insult. You know what I mean? Yeah. Spo- spoilers for past acts, he's not going to have to worry about getting reprimanded by any of these guys because they're all going to fucking die. <laughs> That's true, because just basically the instant they drop out of real space, they see Earth, and then, uh, whoops, there's a Yurk pool ship here. Uh,. <laughs> And the Yurks were prepared for them, I guess, because they immediately launched 12 bugfighters. 
and uh, they'll be in firing range in 12 Earth minutes, because I guess we're measuring time in Earth time now that we're here. (laughs) (laughs) Some poor Andalite on the ship has to go around and change all the clocks. It's like, God damn it, why do we not have these sync up automatically with this different planet? God, this is so fucking annoying. <laughs> it, I mean, um, like, should, they should do what they do in Farscape, just have like some kind of weird, like, oh, it's 30 rel. How many? How much is a rel? I don't know, about a minute? It's just, you can substitute that in your head for minutes, it's fine. Yeah, it's like how, like, uh, in Star Trek Odyssey, like, any time they said, like, a Marbeck, they were always doing a reminder in the corner, being like, this is how long a Marbeck is, remember? And I fucking never remembered. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting that Farscape used Rels, because Rels is also the unit of time that Daleks use in Doctor Who, but for them it's only a second, not a minute. <laughs> I, maybe, maybe it's not Rel. Maybe I'm getting that from, they have another thing. <laughs> this is going to bug me, so I'm actually going to look this up. You keep going. Fair enough. So Captain Nerefir, he's like a legendary war hero among the Andalites, to the degree that Elfangor looks up to him. And Elfangor is basically the most famous Andalite there is. So <laughs> he's gives the order to launch all the fighters to intercept the bug fighters, but Elfangor didn't actually bother to wait for the orders. He already left to do that. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's Okay, in Farscape, it's Microns for a minute. And it's Arns for an hour. Okay, there we go. Yeah. Well, that's disappointing. I thought they were doing a cute, like, <laughs> Doctor Who. <laughs> yeah, no, I was definitely getting Rel from Doctor Who, not Farscape. Hi, <laughs> <laughs> team that these things. Yay! <laughs> but yeah, um, so Elfangor orders Axe to get to the dome, and Axe argues he doesn't want to go because he can fly a fighter, but Aeriths do not fight. They don't go into battle, so he has to go to the dome. And he protests that he doesn't want to be safe, but he has to obey orders because that's how a warrior society works, so he's gotta go. To be fair, he's still also only like 12. (laughs) I mean, if he can fly a ship, why not? Anakin flew a ship when he was 9. He blew up that whole thing. <laughs> but also, he was not supposed to leave. I mean, technically, yes, he got around like, oh, they told me not to leave the ship. I didn't technically leave the ship, even if I left the planet. But it's like, that wasn't technically his fault. But it's like, <laughs> still, he is a child doing a war crime <laughs> by killing a lot of people aboard that ship. <laughs> I don't think he did. There were like four people aboard the ship. Everyone else was battle droids. <laughs> I, I guess. But that's also, again, at the same time, he's a child. You're putting him in... And also, it's not a war crime to kill people during a war. Yeah, even I, even if like the, the ship was full of people, that's basically the equivalent of blowing up like a battleship, which happens all the time in war and isn't a war crime. Everyone on that sh- on that ship was like actively engaged in invading a planet. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. You know? My distinction here is still literally a child, though. <laughs> like Axe is like at best a young teenager. Anakin was nine. <laughs> And it's not even, like, eventually the battle droids get more personality, and it's arguable that they may have some form of sentience, but they don't at this point. They're just remote-controlled drones, so yeah. you can't even claim that. <laughs> that. That has to be in, like, a book or something, right? Or some other show? Because, like... Um, it's, it's kind of consistent across the later Star Wars movies and shows, but the battle droids retain more of their independence. Well, after, after Anakin exploits the obvious weakness in the battle droids that you can just, like, turn them all off by blowing up the control ship, they mm-hmm. make them more independent. 
Yeah. Oh, okay. I guess there is also that, like, you know, the pe- the thing people bring up all the time about Solo is, like, how there's a, that droid who's like, hey, it's fucked up that people treat droids as slaves. Anyway, I'm gonna be forcibly integrated to the ship now. Bye. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. She kind of got fucked over a lot. And I want to play, like, if I ever play Fantasy Flight Star Wars or, like, a Star Wars RPG, I want to play a droid abolitionist who's, like, serious about it. <laughs> I mean, she's de- like, like she was definitely serious about it, but, like, yeah. the the story was not serious about her, which was unfortunate nah. and disappointing. Like, I guess I guess also K2SO was kind of that, because, like, he was, like, reprogrammed from being one of those, like, deaf droids or whatever from the Empire, and, like, kind of had a personality of his own, even though it was mostly just being, like, I'm the comic relief character, and also the first to die, bye. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or Dekin to die? I, I forget who died first. Uh, him or Brody. I forget. Droids, <laughs> droids always get the shaft in Star Wars, and George Lucas has actually specifically yep. said that droids are not sentient and, and, and not capable of, like, uh, sentient thought, but also everything that Star Wars has ever told us directly contradicts the opposite. that. Like, so... you think back to, like, you think back to, like, C-3PO and R2-D2, where it's, like, they're just bros hanging out, and, like, I mean, he, he, he at times just tells R2-D2 he's a dumbass and smacks him, and it's, like, it, that's clearly not programmed. These are clearly full-ass <laughs> beings capable of independent yeah. thought and, like, experiencing fear and stuff, so mm-hmm. maybe, like, just don't don't pretend that you didn't make characters like that. You know yeah. what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I feel like it's a pretty good flip. It depends on how much he's buying into the bit, but if that's the in-universe propaganda that they cannot possibly be sentient, I think it works, actually. No, it does, but then, like, George Lucas comes out as the creator word of God tells us they're not, and that the subjugation of droids is completely justified mm-hmm. for that reason, and... We're just kind of supposed to accept it, you know? Like, yeah, it, that that's my problem. <laughs> no, you just gotta accept that. You just gotta accept that for like a thousand years, wizards were just shitting themselves and making it go away with magic. <laughs> <laughs> in a setting that established that it had plumbing a thousand years ago in this fucking castle. <laughs> I'll be I'll be the first to criticize uh, J.K. Rowling for for many many things, but that yeah, one is like is like is that really more gross than what? regular people were doing back then like no i mean it's not and also there's way worse things to dissect about that series that are actually in the books than just that bullshit thing of like oh yeah the the wizard wizard shit their pants and make it go away like that's silly and stupid but then also like people were just piling their shit up in huge piles and then making the Mm -hmm. underclasses shovel it so like (laughs) just pouring their stuff out into the street And thro- throwing shit in the street. Like, that's, that's mm-hmm. like, I don't know. It's, <laughs> before, before we had indoor plumbing, everything was gross all the time in cities, so <laughs> you might as well just shit in your pants and make it disappear. To be fair, it's still gross in a lot of ways, but it's not gross in the, to the point where usually there's, like, you know, shit on the street anymore. It's, it's gross, but it's, like, gross over there. It's gross over <laughs> there where that person... Uh, where, like, you know, the, the, the water treatment, sewage treatment plant is. It's it's not gross here in my house <laughs> and out in my street. <laughs> well, it also depends on, like, uh, the quality of the people in the house. Because, I mean, like, my apartment, my previous one was a little dirty based on my roommate's not cleaning. Well, that's, but... that's their fucking problem, you know? Yeah. That's not, that's not, a soci- that's not society's it. problem. That's their problem. 
But I had to switch. Your roommate's not cleaning isn't going to affect anything that would be affected by a sewage treatment plant, unless they're just truly terrible people. <laughs> I mean, yeah, fair. And I don't, I don't think your roommate's not cleaning is is really comparable to throwing shit in the street. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> you know? uh, I mean, one of them did have cats, and the cats were definitely not being cleaned up enough as much. <laughs> All right. Um. So Alfonso and Oximili come to the drop shafts where they're going to have to separate because is going to have to go up to get to the dome and Alfonso's going down to the fighter bay. And they, they have a moment here where they like arch their tails up over their backs to touch over top of their heads. They're, they're like making a giant heart with their tails. It's cute. Um, <laughs> Besties. <laughs> And Elfongor promises X that he's going to have a chance to fight soon. Like, his fighter will eventually fly side by side with with Elfongor's own, but not yet today. And, um, he, they have a moment here, uh, Hey, Elfongor, go burn some slugs. That's the plan, little brother. And that's the last time they talk to each other. Yeah. <sighs> Yay! Like, a, a cute brotherly moment. Uh, <laughs> and that's, that's X's last memory of his big brother. Yeah. I'm now imagining like one of those like BFF necklaces of like the like the two hearts that join together, but it's like in the style of like two and uh, like tails for some reason. <laughs> that is pretty good. Um, so Axinelli shows up in the dome, and he's alone there. He's the only one on the entire ship who's stuck in the dome, and he sees Earth below him. It's just through visible through the clear whatever it is dome, and uh, he's talking about how beautiful it looks and how alive it looks and how the planet is inhabited by a reasonably intelligent species, and then the battle starts. So he's watching the fighters, and they're all over the place, but he's busy because, like, he's distracted by the sounds of artificial wind ruffling the leaves of trees grown on this spaceship while the fight is happening. And then he sort of gets a weird premonition feeling and looks away to the moon where he sees the blade ship, because the... This was apparently a strategy. The cool ship launched all fighters to draw out the Andalite fighters so the blade ship could take out yeah. the dome ship. Can I just say before we get too far ahead of it, I disagree with the description of humans as reasonably intelligent. I think a better description would be unreasonably intelligent. <laughs> <laughs> uh. But you have to remember, to him, Andalites are superior in every way to every other species. <laughs> <laughs> right, but I, what, what, what I'm saying is that human intelligence often makes us a lot more unreasonable than it does making, mm. you, know, you know, reasonable. But yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so the folks on the battle bridge go ahead and separate the saucer section so they're able to... <laughs> Sorry. Just, um... just fully being like, well, time to eject Axe into space. We know that the prince's brother's there, but... Well, it's, oh, it, well. It, it's also funny, because this is, like, directly something that happens all the time in, in Next Generation. Uh, yeah. the, the, they, they separate the saucer section from, like, the the utility and, and battle section like, to protect I, the I just the I just want to point out, if this is, like, their plan in cases of, like, oh, shit, we need to make emergency maneuvers, you would think that they would not have the one person who's underage go to this place that would just be an open target then. 
Well, that's well, the whole point of separating the saucer section. All the civilians, all the kids, all the non-military mm-hmm. personnel go to the saucer, and then the warriors stay in the battle part of the ship, so you can, like, actually fight. Yeah. They, they, this is this is literally something that happens, like, all the time on... And any time on, on Next Generation, they're like, separate the saucer section, you're like, oh shit, something crazy is about to go down. Because they're going to go into some kind of situation where they don't want to bring, like, the, the civilians and the children with them. Because for some reason, they have children on the ship. Uh, yeah, again, that still brings up the better point of why Zach's even here. He's underage. Because he's a cadet. He's a. He's, he's a cadet. got school. He's gotta go to school. This is his school. He's a cadet. Yeah, he's just doing his residency. <laughs> um, he's doing his, his summer internship. He has to actually be on the ship to see how things go, even if he doesn't actually have any position of power here. Yep. At the moment. <laughs> Also, I don't think they were expecting the ship to get into a war. I don't think they were expecting to find Yerks here. Why were they heading? Why were they heading to Earth towards Earth then? <laughs> I don't think we have that information. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> Rhyme plays at the right time, I guess, <laughs> or something. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, even though they separate the saucer section, it unfortunately is entirely too cinematic and takes too long, and so they cannot turn to meet the blade ship in time and get blown up immediately. Um, Seems like a big disadvantage. Yeah, you would think they would have the deflector shields up or something, but no, they, they get shot pretty effectively. Axis that a hundred Andalite warriors die, so I guess that there's not a whole lot of people on the ship comparatively, but the dome gets hit by the shockwave, and because they were in low or not low Earth, but they were just entering the planet's gravity field. Uh, so the shockwave from the Andalite ship exploding sort of propels the dome because they had just entered Earth's gravity field. So this explosion like destabilizes it enough that the dome starts spinning wildly and is falling down through the gravity well into the planet, and uh, it. There are emergency engines, so it doesn't just turn into a molten fireball and smash into the planet and destroy the life <laughs> on Earth. But it does end up hitting, because the emergency engines aren't enough to make it fly, just enough to not make it, you know, hit with the force of a gigantic dome falling from space. Um, eventually, it drops all the way to the bottom of the ocean, where we meet Axe four books ago. Um, <laughs> and yeah. We close this chapter, or prologue, I guess, with Axe talking about how the Animorphs told him that uh, Elfangor had broken Andalite law to give them morphing power, and how shocked he was, and uh, how they witnessed Elfangor's death at the hands of Vixor Three, and how Axe will someday have to avenge his brother's death by Andalite custom. He has no choice. He also gives a quick mention here that Visser 3 is, quote, known to all Andalites as the Abomination, which is not something we've had before, and also, uh, that's, like, you can't call him the Abomination, dude. That one's already taken by Emil Blonsky. Um, <laughs> well, I was gonna say by, uh, by Owlhouse. <laughs> abomination is, like, a word, right? It's just, it's, it's, it's a word that exists in the human language. It, you know, yeah. no one has a single copyright over it. <laughs> I know. It's just that, like, our whole beginning of podcast was talking about Owl House, so therefore I associate Abomination with Amity Blight for the most part. For some <laughs> I associate result. Abomination with uh, the the undead siege unit in Warcraft Three. It's, it's made of it's made of sewn together corpses, and he uses intestines and meat hooks to 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 kill people. 
Well, yeah, that's certainly um, fair, but Visser 3 is called The Abomination, and The Abomination is the guy from the Hulk, so... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Alright, so that'll get us into Chapter 1, which I have titled Jiggle Physics. Um... <laughs> de- 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 dead, or act- dead or Act Alive beats Volleyball. <laughs> <laughs> uh... Let's see. We open this chapter with a little journal entry from Axe, which is new and different. Uh, no, uh, none of these books have ever done a thing like this before, so it's weird. But it's basically just a quick note about how, you know, it's weird that humans walk on two legs, and it's very weird to see so many beings walking around on two legs, but also they rarely fall over, so they must be good at it. Um... Axe introduces himself, uh, it's the same standard, like, introduction thing, and then uh, I'm just gonna go ahead and skip ahead of that, he mentions that as an Andalite, he has the power to morph, and Andalites are the only ones who can do it, they invented it, they're the only race in the galaxy that has it, except for these five human kids, so that's weird. Uh, the time limit is the biggest issue with morphing, and it's the one that is most relevant to him right now, because they are on a mission, they're gonna go to a movie. Um, the dangerous plan is, it really is, the plan is that they're going to morph human, or Axe is going to morph human, and they're going to take him to a movie so he can watch the first hour, but then they have to leave because he has to demorph, and yeah, you have to, well, I can't, that seems so depressing, just get a, find a crappy VHS player at a thrift store and bring him some tapes. Like, don't take him to the first half of a movie. Yeah, <sighs> or, or like, I mean, what's stopping him from, like, just going... They have that emergency if he has no. to morph. Like, why doesn't he just, like, be, like temporarily I leave think... the movie theater, go morph, morph back into human, and go watch the rest of it? I think, well, I think he'd have to go into a stall or something and do that in the bathroom, which would be risky. But, like, also... They did that in, uh... Did they do that I think, in the I, I think getting him a VHS would be missing the point. The point here isn't for Axe to watch a movie. They could do that at any of their houses. The point is the communal experience of watching a movie in a theater. There's like a ritual to that, you know? There's like a... a I mean, I see what you're saying, but Axe explicitly says that the movie is the whole point, because movies are an important part of human right, culture, I have right. decided. If I was stuck on Earth among these aliens, I should at least learn but, about but, them. But learning about movies, part of learning about movies is part is, is like experience, the experience of seeing the movie. Not just the movie itself, but the, uh, the, the whole sort of structure around it. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think we can, ne- we can necessarily separate the the way we see movies from the the movies. If you're gonna see Dune, you gotta see the big worm. You know, the little worm isn't the same. You gotta see the big worm. Also, if if he wanted to learn more about humanity, why is he going to see a sci-fi movie that also has aliens in it? Go go see like an autobiography you, movie or something. You, you got. That's probably just what was. You gotta about. see the big worm in a room full of other people you don't know and experience the thing together in a sort of communal way without having to talk to each other. And then also there's popcorn. That's that's what it's all about. And if if you're in if you're in now, that's still in the '90s, but now there's like recliners and shit. I don't know. I feel like as long as you have a screen it's fine a movie is a movie is a movie as long as you're not watching it on i disagree 
<laughs> I... Watching them on your phone is just miserable. I don't care who you are. <laughs> I mean, yes, I agree with that. I also, I, I just, I think, I think the, the, the cinema, the experience of the cinema is an important factor in, like, the, 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 the role movies play in our culture. You know what I mean? Like, uh, I I understand the point you're making. I just don't know that I agree with it because going to the movies is bad, is the thing. Uh, yeah, I don't agree. I've with never you. really liked. I've never really liked having a bunch of people around in the movie theater because people never shut the fuck up or get off their phones these days. That's part of it. The frustration. Uh, yeah, I'd, and I'd it's rather bad. I'd rather watch it in the comfort of my own home without having that distraction. Mm-hmm. Also, obviously, COVID. Mm-hmm. I mean, it depends on, like the the like some sometimes sometimes it's good. Sometimes you get the assholes who talk, um, but I don't know. I I just I just think that 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 the like the theater is a is an important experience. It's just like to, to to a certain extent, these kinds of things are supposed to be a, a communal thing. Um, and maybe like for 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 some people they would prefer to just watch a movie at home but for me i like the experience of going to a theater going to a destination and sitting in a room with a giant screen uh getting overpriced snacks that's part of it and just like enjoying a movie in a room full of other people i know are also enjoying a movie it makes me feel connected um and I can see why people wouldn't like that, but I don't think it's bad. I think it's just frustrating sometimes, and that's part of it. Hmm. I sincerely dislike most parts of the movie-going experience. However, I think I probably go to the movies more often than most people, so maybe I'm just desensitized to it, because mm-hmm. I have gone to, like, four movies in the past. Yeah, I don't really go to movies all that often. That's probably part of it. I, I still need to see Barbie, and I still need to see Oppenheimer. Um, it's just that, like... <laughs> I don't know. I I I think I think that a, a, a large like if if Axe wants to wants to experience movies as a part of human culture, I think going to the movies is an important part of that. Not just watching it on a screen because that's you know like that's context. You know what I mean? That's the I the, the environment these movies are made to be consumed in. Um, it's it's like. It's it's like the, the, the director of Dune, who I forget his name, said. Um, you gotta see the big worm. You gotta go and see the big worm. The little worm's not the same. You gotta go see the big worm. Armored Core 6 yeah, out now. I That's mean... big worm. <laughs> okay, I... Listen, the thing is, is that I use a projector, right? My wall is... <laughs> oh, right, Maybe I it's forgot. it's not yeah. a 50-foot screen, but it's still a 15-foot screen. The worm is still big. The worm big. is still big, but... I don't know. Like, there's something else to be to be said for for sitting in a room with other people enjoying the experience. It's like it's like theater, you know. Like, as at, I mean, in theater, I'm 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 spelling uh, T R E, you know, like yeah, that. Yeah. Uh, it's it's like watching, like sitting at home watching a play by yourself would just be weird, you know. 
Well, yeah. <laughs> Pretty sure that's exactly what the Shrieking Jack people did when they were watching the that that play for their uh, Chris Town coverage. No, I will say, like, I watch recordings of plays. That's not weird, but if it were an actual play <laughs> going on live in my house, that would be extremely weird. I'm now imagining the scenario where, like, a person go, like, you know, like they're putting on a play in person and only one person shows up to watch. <laughs> I think about that scene in Hamlet where the players are there and then there's just, like, four people in the audience. But, but like, also, <laughs> like, I understand, like, okay, so remember when we went to see Ailstorm and, and Epic Realm and Necrogramacon mm-hmm. in Austin? And and I yeah. and some of our other friends went into what you called the Flesh Beast and enjoyed it <laughs> because it's a community experience. It's like you you meld with the crowd and you become a part of something greater than yourself. And afterward, I got so sick. Because the air was full of steam from sweat and saliva, but like, there's there's something about that, you know, about about joining in with with like a communal experience. And you, that was not like what you were in there for. And I get that. I like that kind of thing. You don't. And so I think we should just agree that we have different tastes. <laughs> uh, well, I think we can certainly agree on that. <laughs> Well, I just always think about how I basically spent almost three and a half years between see- going to the movie theater <laughs> recently. And by flesh beast, I mean the mosh pit, if that wasn't clear. <laughs> okay, I-, I had no contact, obviously. <laughs> yeah, before seeing right. the D&D movie, the last movie I'd seen in theaters was Rise of Skywalker, which was depressing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, do be fair, go with it right after. <laughs> okay, um... At any rate, Axe does have a little note here, and I was going to bring this up anyway because he's... People talk about how he doesn't really have a sense of humor, but it's very much more apparent when he's narrating. Because there's a line here about why he can't go to a movie in Andalite form because controllers, those humans who are infested by the Yerk parasites, would have tried to kill me. Period. Paragraph. Which would have ruined the entire movie experience. <laughs> yes, that's the so important guys, thing was, here. So, guys, how was the movie? Also, where's Axe? Well, the good news and bad news. The movie was good. Uh, bad news, Axe is dead. Yeah. Uh, whoops. Prose. Great cinematography. Cons. <laughs> controllers tried it's, to kill us. It's, 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 like, it's like the usual AAA game descriptor uh, review or whatever of like, you know, dog shit characters, dog shit yeah. story, but really good graphics, so 9 out of 10. Two <laughs> rating, two stars on Yelp. Yep. Uh, so yes, they are standing all together. All the Animorphs are in the forest where Axe lives, and they're they're getting ready to do the thing. They've got a backup plan. If Axe needs to demorph, they're going to go to Nordstrom because they have big private dressing rooms, which does raise the question of why he couldn't just go there, demorph, and then go back Again, to the movie. Like but I said, whatever. but also I was rem- trying to remember back in The Stranger, he did exactly that. He was able to morph inside the gap, uh, like uh, what's it called? Because like he was in human morph when they got to the gap, because they knew that's where the entrance to the pool yeah. was, and then he turned into a cockroach in there, after having yep. to obviously go into mid- into Andalite for a moment to become cockroach. So it's like, why can't he just do the same thing yeah. being watching the movie? He, 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 he could just, like, remorph in the bathroom yeah. and then come back. I mean, Axe doesn't understand the movie anyway, so it's like, what's the matter if he misses five minutes? <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I don't know. Yes. Like, um, when when is this supposed to take place? Uh, this 
they're roughly contemporaneous, so I would say probably not June, but it's like summer-ish, maybe April, May-ish, 1997. Yeah, 1997. I'm trying to figure out which Star Trek movie this is. <laughs> trying to see if there was a Star Trek movie that released around that point. Uh... Okay, so... Well, I have notes about that later. Okay. <laughs> well, uh, Star Trek First Contact released in November 96 <laughs> and interacted in 98. Why you always gotta jump the gun? We're gonna talk about that when they talk about the movie, not when they're standing uh, here uh, in well, the forest. Because uh, I was curious and I googled. I held <laughs> off. I have it in front of me. I could be reading the same thing you are. I'm holding off for us to get to there. I know. <laughs> <laughs> like, this is how I am. You know this by now. <laughs> Okay. Um, at any rate, so Axmorph's human, it's, you know, weird. Uh, he and Marco have to grab him to keep him from falling over on account of he's just losing his front legs. And uh, then we get to the reason I named this chapter what I named it, and it's very confusing, because he just morphs some clothes. He wasn't wearing clothes, he creates them. Whole cloth, out of nothing. <laughs> Yeah, um, what the what the fuck? Especially because uh -huh, uh -huh, yep. like when they first get him out of the dome ship, they're like, uh, you know, the girls all turn away real quick and like, Axe, what what what'd you morph, bud? My only <laughs> thought is that he morphed human previously and then demorphed with clothes on <laughs> and is now re-manifesting those clothes somehow. Well, see, because. Like, here's the thing, right? Because he starts out naked, and then Rachel reminds him, hey, 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 make sure you put clothes on, and then he morphs the suit, like... Also, like, we've never we've never seen one of the kids put on clothes in mid-morph to have it per maintained throughout morphs. Because, like, I mean, it's, like, different because they have clothes on, obviously, before they morph, and then when they go back to human form, they re-emerge, but the Axe is doing it the other way if you're saying that he put on clothes in human form, then went back to Andalite, and now is going back to human. Well, presumably yep. the clothes are hanging out somewhere in Z-space, you know? Like, you're just kind of <laughs> floating. Axe has his own little pocket dimension just for, like, uh, like a skin-tight outfit. Yeah, that's how morphing works. <laughs> you have a pocket dimension for all of your, like, goo flesh and uh, stuff. I mean, we, we definitely don't know that yet. But. I mean, no, I think, uh, I don't know. We don't? I thought... No, we have no idea how that works for a very long time. I thought that they covered... I don't know. Maybe I'm getting things mixed up. Well, I mean, if they covered that, they would have had to be actually explained it, because the kids wouldn't know, obviously. <laughs> yes, uh, the only real reference Axe makes to this is that it is a very difficult trick to be able to morph clothing, and all you can manage is something extremely tight. So that still doesn't... It really seems like he's just spontaneously creating clothes here, but whatever. <laughs> nah, I, th um, I think anyway. Like he no. has some story it's like away. the Morimar comic, <laughs> but let's go. It's like the Morimar comic that uh, comments on how V's clothes are actually technically her skin, so you can't like have her put on like a pin or something because you're technically impaling her. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So they, he becomes human, and then they comment on stuff like Rachel's talking about how sometimes she thinks he's cute, and then she realizes that he looks like her, and. Marco makes fun of her for being narcissistic, and then he tries to, like, pump the brakes here, because maybe this is a bad idea, actually, after the last time they took Axe in public. 
But uh, Jake is all like, no, actually, this is a vacation. We are taking a break. We destroyed the Kendrona. We beat the Valique. So it is vacation time. We're going to a movie. Shut up, Marco. It's like the one time Max actually has the right idea of things. Did you name this, did you name this chapter? <laughs> uh, yes, it was Jake. Oh, okay. I would, I would have called it Pasadena also, um, Become Human. <laughs> <laughs> also, you skipped over the bit where, like, Rachel's even like, oh, you would look cute, but then I see parts of uh, Cassie in there, and it's like, Rachel, are you actually, like, secretly, like, gay or bi, and you don't realize it or something, if you're thinking Cassie's cute? <laughs> well, she, that's, that's a reason that she doesn't, like, that, 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 that she doesn't want to, that, that, that's what makes him less cute to her. Yeah, yeah, she specifically says that seeing Cassie is gross. Yeah. Which, like... That's rude, you know? Yeah, way way to be rude towards your bestie, Rachel. (laughs) (laughs) Rachel having to be like, is it gay to think your best friend is also attractive in a sense? And just like a not gay way? Straight people in the 90s had a lot of, uh, and a lot of closeted closeted queer people, like me, had a lot of uh, Mm -hmm. anxiety around uh, gay thoughts. So. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yay! Right. Um, you also skip over so how they basically ex- dress him up like he's going golfing. <laughs> that has not happened yet. Oh, I thought you were done with the chapter. Once again, you are jumping the. I gun, thought you were done with the chapter. That that. Done no, me. I'm not done with the chapter. You just keep interrupting me to talk about stuff that happens twenty pages we later. We gotta move on because we've been <laughs> at this money. for like. 45 minutes and we're only on chapter 2. <laughs> I am trying. I promise you I am trying. <sighs> anyway. Um, Axe talks a little bit about how mostly he wants to do this because he doesn't want to go back to the Andalite homeworld and then just not have anything to show about what he learned about humans because he admits that he's a bad student, but that would just be embarrassing if he lived on Earth for a while and didn't know anything about it. And then he talks about how the real trick is learning about humans without letting them learn about him, because there were things he could never tell them that would make them turn against him. Uh (laughs) (laughs) Uh-oh. Yeah, definitely not foreshadowing the rest of this book. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Rachel advocates, like, actually, we should just go fight the Yerks now, because they won't get another Candrona for another week. They're weak now. We can, like, do the thing. But uh, since they haven't seen Yerks just, like, dying on the streets, they don't really know what's happening. The Yerks are, like, maintaining their position, and uh, maybe they are suffering, but we don't know for a fact that they're weak. So, again, vacation time. Jake is just really arguing in favor of this movie. I think he wants to see the Star Trek movie. Yeah, Um, that's really more the reason. (laughs) Yeah, so uh, Rachel gives Axe a bag of clothes. He dresses up. Uh, he's dressed up like the you-know-I-had-to-do-it-to-him guy, and... <laughs> and, uh, yeah, that's that's the end of the chapter. Thank you. As Jake promises to protect Axe from anyone who tries to beat him up. Uh, you're right, he is dressed... He, he, he is dressed like the you-know-I-had-to-do-it-to-him guy. Yeah. <laughs> it is funny how Marco's even like, even I want to beat him up. <laughs> 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 like look at this fucking nerd from space. It's it's amazing it's amazing <laughs> how uh how fashion changes in in like uh 20 years because back then it's it's um cuz back then it definitely reads as going to the country club, but nowadays that would be giving like uh uh you know suit and tie white nationalist. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> 
Also, we skipped over how apparently Tobias occasionally calls him Axeman, <laughs> which has never happened before. <laughs> well, yeah. That's, I don't know. It's going to be a like a constant thing that Tobias does. Like, so. does it does it happen in like other books, or is it really just for this purpose of like whenever he's talking to Axe directly? Uh, it's just like a friendly nickname. Like in, in the 90s, if someone is wearing like a button-up shirt with boat shoes, I'm thinking, you probably go to a private school, but these days, if they do that, I'm thinking, you're probably a Nazi. Yeah. <laughs> Let's be real, yeah, that is kind of the situation here. <laughs> a little bit. Um, yeah, so we'll move into chapter two, which... Um, let me get my notes here. I have titled... <laughs> uh, <laughs> Can we get a translation on that? So, yeah. Uh, that is Disgrace to the Empire in Klingon. Um, <laughs> they're in the movie, and X is complaining about not understanding the previews, and he, he just doesn't get why these stories are so short and incomplete, and... Jake tries to explain it to him, and X also doesn't understand why the screen is flat, because he's used to, like, 3D hollow screens or whatever. Uh, Jake just kind of brushes him off and says, that's how things are, don't worry 3D about movies it. Are... Marco Sorry, gives it's because 3D movies are overrated. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just wait, X. <laughs> Humanity will get that there and be like, this sucks. <laughs> <laughs> uh. So, yes, um... Marco managed... He he decided to cut a thing of popcorn, which I guess supports the communal overpriced food thing, but he got popcorn completely forgetting about how Axe is with food. And, um... He, he like, gives it over when Axe is... Reali when he realizes Axe is staring, and then, um... Axe just adores it. Although, he does mention that the popcorn has a flavor... Just a hint of cigarette butts, which I also enjoy. Um, <laughs> yeah, because he ate those when they took them to the mall last time. <laughs> mm -hmm. I just this—that's that's really bad popcorn. You don't want that. Yeah, um, <laughs> no. <laughs> like I can't say what cigarettes taste like at all because I've never had one, but I'm imagining that popcorn does not taste like cigarettes. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, no. <laughs> <sighs> Yeah, so Marco just ends up giving Axe a whole box of popcorn just to, like, keep him quiet. But uh, Axe then eats all of the popcorn and also the box, because the box tastes of salt and grease, like the popcorn does. Um, <laughs> then the movie starts, and since this is 1997, I think this is probably Star Trek First Contact, because the next Star Trek movie to come out is in 98, so realistically, I think they are probably seeing a rerun of this bored movie. Um, Axe gets bored very quickly because he knows that spaceships do not actually look like the Enterprise. <laughs> and I guess has issues with the idea of fiction. Uh, one of the things he mentions is that uh, one of the characters is a species called an Ungachic female, but in the movie it's a Klingon, so there you go, Worf looks like a girl. Um... <laughs> And then Axe finds more popcorn on the floor. People have apparently just yeah. thrown their boxes of half-empty popcorn on the floor instead of putting it in the trash can. But then uh, he finds uh, something small, brown, uh, round, and he eats those because he's just eating everything he finds on the floor. And it completely overwhelms him. So he gets on hands and knees, and he's just crawling around on the floor of the movie theater, grabbing anything he can and shoving it in his mouth. But he wants more of these brown, round things. 
and instead he finds a different thing, which is uh, a, a twisted plastic envelope, and inside that twisted plastic envelope he discovers a chunk that smells very similar, is how he describes it. So <laughs> I think that's a chocolate bar. And um, so he horks this chocolate bar down, and people are getting very upset about him crawling around on the floor of the theater, but he's too busy, he needs to find more of that amazing food, and more and more and more, and then he finds another box of uh, brightly colored ones, so these are M&M's, and then uh, he finds a child who is holding an entire box of M&M's, and uh, he he demands these M&M's from the child, shouting, please give me your brown globules at the kid. And uh, Spoilers, <laughs> the kid has Raisinets, because they explain next chapter that the globules are Raisinets, not the M&M's. Can I, M&M's can I just say, one. this... this... I read this book enough as a kid that this this brain has been burned into my scene. <laughs> sorry, this scene has been burned into my brain. I reverse words, sorry. For like twenty years, this is uh, like this. This is this scene is part of the furniture of my mind. I think I think what they really have to do going forward is when Axe morphs human, he should keep his hooves, but like just cut the sole of shoes out for him, so this way he can still actually like you know eat that way. With his feet, as we'll see, but also give him have him not morph a mask and just uh, not uh, not morph a mouth and just have him wear a mask at all times so he can't say anything and also can't try to eat stuff. Vivian, Vivian, mm-hmm. what the fuck are you talking about? No, what I'm saying is that's, that that's not how morphing has ever worked. But they've said at times that Cassie can like keep her bird wings as she's like in the rest of her being human, like she can do that partially before she makes it all go away. There's there, there's like several things that. That are wrong with what you just said. We don't have time There's to go into There's been times when they've been like, oh, I could be stuck mid-morph while still doing stuff. Just have him just okay, not one, morph a mouth or something. <laughs> one, only Cassie has has that, that amount of control over morphing uh, um, among the Animorphs. Two, th- there's no sense of taste in the hooves. Uh, three, why? <laughs> because that's why he doesn't, doesn't keep going around trying to eat everything he finds. So he doesn't cause themes. Let's just move on. <laughs> yeah. If he doesn't have a mouth, okay. he can't taste. That's what I'm getting at. <laughs> uh. Okay, so my chapter ends with Jake and Marco having to drag Axe away as he's screaming Google globules to the theater while they are trying to watch this perfectly innocent board movie. Don't get don't give Axe food. Yeah, so that's me. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, right. Well, uh, because of that, I'm taking over chapter three, whereas usually I don't. But uh, basically, I called this one, oh, no, it's the consequences of our own actions. <laughs> uh, he, I didn't actually keep notes on, like, the little, like, preambles he does, but he mentions about, like, just in general, like, the danger of being in human morph because you're just always going to fall over since you don't have four legs. And that's basically it. And also to <laughs> don't... Be, like to be also wary of taste, especially it's in the buns and chocolate. <laughs> uh, but yeah, basically we continue there where Jake and Marco drag him out of the theater after having learned not let Axe have sugar. They say chocolate, but I think it's just sugar overall, really. <laughs> I think that that's how I'm reading it because it's like I yeah. think I think chocolate is special. The the yeah. what, what, what he was eating was M and M's and raisinets, and it was the chocolate that was yeah. Uh, but he al- was, like, but he also like went nuts when he had the cinnabon back in like book five. So that's also like high in sugar and stuff too. Yeah, but I don't know. Cho- chocolate chocolate is special. yeah. 
Well, I mean, it's just really just food in general with him, too. But it's like, I feel like the sugar is definitely also probably like, yep, we should avoid letting him have this. But also, he should not eat anything. <laughs> yeah. They explain to him what those candies were as he basically just calms down. And the girls also exit the mall, but they stay a bit of distance from them, mostly just to keep up their whole cover of them not being a whole big group to, to try to keep their identity secret from the York still. Tobias calls down from overhead, saying that there's a man nearby staggering around and screaming all about the Yerks. And, yeah, of course, we're... At, at least we're actually getting into, like, plot a little bit early in one of these books for once. <laughs> Just based on that. <laughs> uh, but yeah, basically, uh, they go to check out the situation as they also hear sirens in the distance. Uh, they see the man grab at his ear, and Jake realizes that the Yerk in his head is dying because of their actions back in The Stranger, and also because Jake, of course, went through the same experience with having a Yerk die in his head. Rachel and Cassie just immediately break their usual protocol to come over to meet up with them. It doesn't really specify that at first when Rachel speaks. It's only like when Cassie talks that Rack is like, yeah, they, they came over here, which is interesting. <laughs> like, it, basically, without that context, it sounds like Rachel's just screaming at them from across the street being like, what do we do, guys? And it's like, Rachel, please. <laughs> you gotta keep cover. Uh, but yeah. It's been weeks since we destroyed the Candrona, she shouted. At the yeah, yeah it's, the it's been weeks since we fucked over the Yerks. <laughs> and it's like, well, this is immediately when she gets fucking snuck. <laughs> Bye, Rachel. Uh, yeah, but they they go over and ask, uh, well, rather Rachel asks why this would be happening now when they destroyed the Kendrona weeks ago and nothing seemed to have happened around that time. Uh, Axe theorizes that they were basically able to minimize the damage but have reached their limit because shuttling controllers back and forth to the membership would just cause a strain over time. And they start to see the Yerk Slug uh, slither out the guy's head as an ambulance and various police officers arrive. And basically, Jake and Marco just get excited about how the York cannot possibly cover this up fully because not every medical nor police official could be Yorked at this point. So obviously, this would leak somehow. But Axe and Rachel basically know better since Rachel doesn't underestimate her enemies just in general. And Axe clearly also knows how Yorks truly operate because he's been like raised from like since day one. He's basically been taught about how Yorks are assholes. <laughs> Uh, he basically, he set, narrates that he almost told Jake the truth of the matter right then and there, that he knows exactly that this man will just basically be killed to maintain cover, but he doesn't since that would reveal what he calls the terrible truth behind the law of Zero's kindness, but does not explain who the fuck Zero is still. Yay! Nope. Yay! I hope he does next time, because he doesn't this time <laughs> that we're covering. <laughs> so at least we finally got the guy's name mentioned, even if I still have no context for who Zero is. <laughs> I don't know. If he, he was kind. It. We know that. Apparently, <laughs> but also it's like they call it, they call that like their law highest above all laws kind of deal. So it's like I feel like that might be a bit of a like sarcastic kindness wording. I don't know. Who can say? You can. I'm not. Maybe. I can't. <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe he was just super good at lying. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. The paramedics then move the guy into the ambulance, but while the rest of the kids don't notice what happens next because they're just basically all celebrating early, Axe notices that the cop pulls out a gun and points it right at the guy's neck. It's weird that they always... he specifies neck. That's not gonna kill a person instantly, like it might, well, but it's like... You... the thing is, is that this isn't a gun. Is it not? This is... no, it's a small steel cylinder. This is fully... it's like a neuralizer that just instantly kills you. <laughs> Oh, okay. Yeah, I always, just, I read it as a gun because he describes it as a metal cylinder, so I'm, like, thinking, like, oh, maybe Axe doesn't know that there's, like, a trigger on it, because even though, like, Dracon beans probably are the, the same design as a gun, really. 
No, it's just like a little little murder device. It's just a little okay. Uh, yeah, and then, again, uh, a gun is also a murder device, but yeah, <laughs> different kind of murder device. It's a sci-fi murder device. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, Yorks just have a perfect assassination tool that they can instantly kill people with, apparently. And that and... they never use, <laughs> aside from this particular situation. Uh-huh, yep. Okay, okay, now, whoever now currently owns the Hitman license, I want you to make a Hitman game about a Yurk inside of Agent 47's head who has to go around taking out targets, but you don't have one of these. <laughs> you gotta maintain cover, 47. <laughs> And I would assume that it's pretty hard to detect what happened, too, if they're willing to do it to humans, because they, like, probably would autopsy people, right? So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. they can't leave a hole or a wound or anything, so, yeah, just... Unless they yerked the coroner. I guess that's fair. Yeah, that's probably the, like, the scenario here of, like, oh, we gotta bring him over to this morgue, where we definitely don't really have the guy running it in charge, like, uh, yerked or anything. But yeah. I mean, in this specific case, I guess it makes sense that the people on scene would assume that he died, because the policeman did think that he was ripping his own brains out, so... Yeah, they do describe it like that, <laughs> which is like, that's that's not what brains look like, but sure. Yeah, uh, also that cop is definitely going to be yerked by the end of the day. And that's yeah. also not how, like, human anatomy works. No. But then again... <laughs> <laughs> if we were going by how human anatomy works, Yerks wouldn't necessarily be able to get to the brain through the ear canal, so, mm. you know, <laughs> it's, it's whatever. Yeah, don't worry about it. Uh, yeah. Uh, da, 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 where did I leave off? Uh, yeah, basically, the kids continue celebrating, but Axe once again considers telling them how there's gonna be no evidence of this left behind, because the Yerk will just shrivel up into nothing, and that this guy is just toast. And that he has to keep secrets from them about how the Yorks became a threat to the entire galaxy and why Enlights have no choice but to oppose them. It's like, yay! Bummer ending, but at least stuff is happening early on in one of these books. <laughs> uh, let me just scroll. Yeah, chapter 4 doesn't have one of those entry things, so I can just go based on my notes. Uh, I have called chapter 4 Rip Eating with the Butthole. <laughs> because unfortunately, my headcanon is gone. <laughs> Thanks. I'm glad Kay. you're finally Thanks, reaching the Applegate. stage of grieving. Because <laughs> previously you were kind of, like last night, you were kind of in the denial stage. Yeah. Uh, but now, I imagine that bargaining and anger were in there somewhere, uh, like on your, in your own brain, but now you're reaching its acceptance, mm-hmm. and I'm glad for you. Still bummer. <laughs> After like eight months, my whole headcanon is destroyed. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, uh, that cuts to the next morning where Axe goes through the motions of a warrior's morning ritual that seems, to, at least how I read it, seems to have some similar aspects to yoga, at least in terms of like mindfulness and stuff. I love, I love, I love this scene. I love, I love the uh, the ritual here, and I think mm-hmm. you're definitely right. I think that that it's it's a it's a meditative practice. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's like focusing mm-hmm. his warrior spirit on the 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 task at hand. It's it's very um. I, mean, I don't know. I, I just, I just, I just, I just like these, uh, these glimpses into Andalite culture. Yeah. Well, like, I, I get what you're getting at, and that's true, but also, this isn't like Axe being mindful or anything. It's just straight up, he doesn't like this, he doesn't believe in it, but, uh, if he has yeah. to do it, if he wants to get into the army. Yeah, I, but well, like, I feel the, like the purpose of it there, is because also... it's supposed to be about mindfulness. He's just a kid. <laughs> 
There's also a part here where he's like, I don't know why I'm still doing this if I'm not around Andalites, but it's like yeah. the only thing that makes me feel connected to mm-hmm. the the people that I'm mm-hmm. separated from. Yeah, he's like, like, he's like, nobody's here to reprimand me if I don't do this, so why do I really yeah. still keep going through the motion? <laughs> it's like, so you remember at, um, at, at, uh, when we were in when we were in, when we were in university, the core would have to do taps mm-hmm. every every morning, or like the the it's not taps, but it was like the thing they did every morning at the flagpole. Uh, kind of like in the morning, taps at night. Rev, yeah. So it's like like a cadet separated from everything else, like separated from from his own people, trying to feel some kind of connection to them by continuing to do this, and it's something that he didn't like to do and didn't really believe in. But does it anyway? Because it's like it, it you know, it, it acts as very isolated. This helps him feel more connected to something that he's been separated from, which I guess is kind of the point of ritual, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's just like yep, so, this is just my morning routine. Once I wake up, I gotta do this, even if I feel like it's not necessary. Well, I mean that, but also like it, even even if acts doesn't even if Axe doesn't believe in this, it's clearly still working, mm-hmm. or else he wouldn't be doing it. Yeah, you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but anyway, uh, he has to basically remind the reader about what transpired between his brother and the other kids from the day that he crashed in the ocean, because of course these books have to remind you about the basic stuff. <laughs> Uh, mm-hmm. He again brings up Ciro's kindness, because he mentions that Alfanger giving non-Andalites the morphing power is against their highest of laws, and then he also does the mandatory recap of who Visit 3 is, and how so far he's failed to kill him, and his only excuse is that he's still just a kid. So, it's like, he's not an adult, so I guess he's uh, a lot off the hook for that, technically. <laughs> I'm starting to think that Ciro's kindness is based on him saying that that's like, giving morphing power to people that are outside of the Andalites is just, like, probably, like, a, like, prime directive thing of, like, don't fuck around with, like, other underdeveloped worlds kind of deal. Similar to, like, a Star Ocean thing as well. I'm thinking. That would be a good guess. Yeah. And I guess I'll find out next week, maybe. Finally. <laughs> <laughs> and I can finally decide for myself whether the Zero did anything wrong or not. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Again, again, again. There's other qualifying information. There's like more stuff we'll learn later. I don't. I can at I can at least have a basis for the moment, rather than just being like, I guess I have to agree. (laughs) A lot of a lot of the stuff that that informs my opinion that Ciro did nothing wrong comes from the Hork-Bajir Chronicles and the Andalite Chronicles. Oh, okay, fun. So, like, yeah. <laughs> Though I guess I won't be able to say definitively at the end of next episode whether he's done something wrong or not. <laughs> yeah, and also, those books are not for a while. <laughs> fun! Uh, <laughs> I had false we'll hope and we'll it was immediately dashed. <laughs> maybe we can convince you without spoiling anything. Maybe. We'll, um, we'll see, I guess. <laughs> At any rate, uh, Tobias arrives at this point as Axe thinks to himself about things and he asks him what his morning exercise is because apparently Tobias had seen this before but never bothered to ask yet. Uh, but then he also has to warn him that there's a rattlesnake just right behind him, like right at his leg. <laughs> so apparently, to, like, Axe mm. no- has been like, oh yeah, no, I've heard that rattling before but I never bothered to care about it. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's like... yeah. <laughs> I feel like rattlesnake rattles are kind of like they evolved to be alarming. Mm-hmm. It's like 
But then again, it's like that kind of stuff is a back and forth. You know what I mean? Like rattlesnakes evolve this ability to warn others of their presence, and then other animals evolve the ability to recognize that and yeah. be afraid of it. Mm-hmm. Like the except the, like secretary birds because they don't give a fuck. <laughs> humans, especially uh, pregnant people, for some reason, uh, are able to notice snakes very quickly. It's like snake. That's a snake is wired into our brains as mammals. Yeah, I, I wonder um, if that's just like a based on like how they move kind of thing that it's like just more I, I think noticeable. It's 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 more about like the shape, mm-hmm. uh, but also like it, it was very very important for our ancestors to learn to recognize not learn but to to gain the uh, to evolve the ability to recognize snakes very quickly. It, it connects to like a very deep part of our brains that's like very based like very. Uh, sort of um, foundational to our visual processing, which is one one theory why, why many cultures have considered snakes magical is because there's a part of our brain that's very quick to go, oh, look, that's a snake. That's important. Pay attention to that. It's not necessarily a fear response. It's more of like a... Um, a, a, a draws attention. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, our brains... If we see a snake, our brains automatically tell us that's an important thing. You should pay attention to that. It's, and, it's probably also like an ingrained uh, thing because, like, back in the past, obviously, like, antivenom wasn't much of a thing because that took oh, like, no, scientific advances. Not. And then it's like, well, you get bit by a snake. Uh, it's a death sentence. It's yeah, a freaking coin like, flip like, of whether it's a poisonous one because we didn't really know that either yet at that point. Super important to notice snakes. And that, that goes back to, like, even before human, humans were a thing. Mm-hmm. This is something that's common to most mammals because snakes have, have hunted mammals and birds for as long as snakes have existed, um, which is almost as long as mammals and birds have existed. So, like, I, it would make sense that, that axe wouldn't have the same reaction yeah. to a snake that, that humans would, because axe did not co-evolve with snakes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. At any rate, the snake does, like, uh, fully just starts to attack him, but he pins it to the ground with his tail and decides in that moment just to acquire it since it's fast, and he has, like, not many earth morphs, so who knows, it could prove useful. Probably will in this book. <laughs> I feel like that's the only reason they would include this, really. <laughs> uh, but then he just fucking yeets it into some bushes after he's done, and they discuss the movie theater <laughs> antics uh, a little bit with... Tobias finally asking him the same question about how Andalites eat without mouths that I've had since the start. <laughs> Axe dismisses this, saying that he has hooves, and so that explains everything. <laughs> uh, but Tobias doesn't press the question about Andalite biology, and as they move through the woods, Axe tells Tobias about how he did not pay much attention to the humanity segments of his xenobiology class in school, which likely colors why he wants to go through with more plans to get to know humanity better. <laughs> Because he didn't pay attention in class. Yep. I was like, ah, shit. So uh, y- y'all have, like, six stomachs, right? I think that's what they said in class. <laughs> no, no accent. <laughs> oh, darn. Well, where, where exactly is the human dorsal Yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> it's like, I think, I thought I of the uh, discussion in Mass Effect 2 with, like, Rex, of, like, when Shepard's like, yeah, I got in his face. He's like, well, at least you had your secondary and tertiary hearts to help you out with that. And, he, and Shepard's like, yeah, humans no, don't no, have those. Uh, no. <laughs> Rex's like, oh, well, it must have been really painful then. <laughs> <laughs> like, well, that sucks. Sorry. <laughs> Somehow Rex not doesn't know that humans only have one heart. <laughs> it's not like Rex is a is a, a xenobiologist. No, no, you know? he's not. He's a he's a Krogan. He's he's, he's, a, a, he's a he's a more 
down to earth, simple. Yeah. Uh, I wouldn't say simple, but you know, he's like he, he's been like the last he's, like he's, almost two hundred years being like a bounty hunter. Like he's not focused. He's on, not like, a scientist. Still, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, I feel like that might be common biology at this point. I, I feel like I feel like knowing how how many hearts humans have would be important to knowing how to kill them, though. Yeah, and, it does uh, seem handy. Yeah, yeah. So maybe that'd be useful information for a bounty hunter. I don't know. Yeah. For a mercenary. Yeah. Well, now he knows. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Shepard. Now I know how to kill your kind easier. All right. <laughs> Sometimes it's important. Yeah. Listen, <laughs> it's literally part of what he does for Shepard. Mm-hmm. Well, not the time in Mass Effect Two. He's mostly just sitting there trying to like do like actual like governing and stuff. <laughs> no, in Mass Effect Two, he's like become he's become a politician. Yeah, <laughs> like a good one, mm-hmm. but you know. Yep. Unless he's dead. Well, uh, you know, you shouldn't actually kill Rex in Mass Effect 1, because Rex is a good guy. <laughs> I mean, you shouldn't, but he's your brother. the option is on the table. Yeah, but he's your brother. Yeah, but um, if, if that happens, you should you should restart your game. Yeah, anyway. yeah, restart your game from the start, make sure to focus on intimidation or persuasion or whatever it was in, the, in Mass Effect 1, and get them to stand down, because it's better for their overall. <laughs> <laughs> but also, yes, don't play Mass Effect because it's a problematic series. <laughs> Again, we can talk like the. Uh, okay, I don't want to like blanket say no one should play things that are problematic. Just be critical. And we can agree. We, we had we this can conversation can, we can, last episode. We can agree not to play the Turf Wizard game though. <laughs> Mostly because that contributes directly to someone's social and cultural capital. But the moment J.K. Rowling dies, I'm going to play it. You know, like. <laughs> Like, the, 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 the day she's no longer relevant, or this no longer has the ability to empower her, I just, I see nothing wrong with... with imagine imagine you just have, like, a giant yeah. calendar marking off each day, just being like, one day. <laughs> yeah, well, I appreciate your opinions here, but we literally had this exact same discussion on the last episode. Let's I know, I, we did, exactly, let's <laughs> move on. Alright, in case, uh, Jake and Cassie approach them to collect X, who is concerned that Tobias will be just by himself today. But he says it'll be fine since he's got bird stuff to do and Jake's asked him to fly about the school all day to be their eyes and ears if needed. Uh, basically, uh, Axe laments how he and Tobias can never be true, I believe the pronunciation would be Shorm, I think? I think that's how it would be in The End of Light. I believe that's it, yeah. Yeah. Uh, basically he translates that as like a deep friend since there's always going to be a wall between humanity and End of Light and that getting too close to any alien species is a mistake. So again, I think I've already sussed out what the whole key plot point of this book is going to be. <laughs> and Axe will do a 180 by the end. <laughs> uh, chap- uh, chapter 5, which I have called the first day of school, uh, it again just goes through with like Axe mentioning that uh, he's morphed some strange earth animals, but the most is uh, strange is the human, because they are weak, slow, half-blind, and unstable. <laughs> But he also says that no Antelite should laugh at them because they rule their planet. And according to Rachel, uh, Earth is a tough neighborhood. That's his little preamble. This- I like that. Yep. I like that because <laughs> I I don't know. It's I don't I don't know. Why I like that quote so much. I just do. <laughs> <laughs> this chapter is at least the shortest. Not much happens in it. But basically, uh, Axe and Tobias go meet up with Jake and Cassie as Axe uh, needs another reminder to not call Jake Prince, especially today. So ding. Uh, X promises that he will not call him such while in his human morph. Uh, you know, strong promise to keep here, X. Let's see if he does. <laughs> uh, as he morphs, Tobias goes to check out the surrounding area to make sure they're in the clear. And after that other morphing sequence of him still not being able to use just two legs, Jake has to remind him not to mess around with the mouthfeel of words because that only make today more complicated. And he stresses, <laughs> and he stresses that this is X's only day of school, not his first day of school, just the one. 
so that he can help learn how to be a more believable human being. And he gives the recovery story that Axe is his cousin Philip from out of state as Axe gets dressed, and Tobias tells him to go have fun. Axe notes that Tobias sounds a little bit wistful since it's a little strange to him that he can go to Tobias' school but Tobias can't. And then he immediately face plants as he goes to turn his head around to assure Tobias that he will enjoy himself. <laughs> That's all that happens in that one. It's like the shortest chapter we have in all this. Uh, <laughs> that leads us into my last chapter, which is 6, which I called Did You Know Students Need IDs at All Times Compared to the 90s? Which I found out yesterday because my mom actually told me this. <laughs> I mean, I had to have an ID at all times when I was in high school, but I just refused to wear it, so... I mean, they they <laughs> issued those IDs, but we didn't have to carry them around on, like, lanyards at the time, which my mom still is, like, uh, friends with some of her former teacher friends and everything, and that's apparently just now a thing you need to carry at our school at all times, or else you get recommended. Yeah, yeah my school had the rule that if it was not visible, then you were in trouble, and teachers were required to record it, huh. but uh, I just refused to do it enough times that they gave up. I, I mean, <laughs> I guess that's just a different, like, uh, state thing, I guess, because, like, my school never gave a shit. <laughs> I went to a private school um, with a bunch of those people who would wear the boat shoes and Oxford shirts. <laughs> um, and we didn't have to wear IDs. I've worked in schools later after that um, in various different capacities where people did, but uh, oftentimes that was not enforced. It, you know, it's 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 not necessarily something that's enforced. So like, um, you know, it's 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 up in the air. However, like. I would feel like coming into a school, like, with no warning, just as mm -hmm. someone who uh, is is related to a student, is something that could happen in, in the 90s. In fact, I think I did that a couple mm -hmm. of times. Yeah, it's definitely not something that could happen today. <laughs> um, today, no. Absolutely no. not. We have too much of a surveillance state to let that happen anymore. <laughs> Yeah, this is, another, this is another one of those little things where it kind of, like, highlights how much our world has changed. Yeah, in, yeah in the, like, 25-ish years. Yeah. yeah. Well, I will say, the only teacher I had who actually cared about the ID thing didn't ever bother to report me, but he didn't want to get in trouble for it, so he came to this decision that if anybody didn't wear their ID, they'd have to do 10 push-ups increasing by one every time they didn't wear their id so by the end of the semester like that's why i was pretty built in high school because it's just me walking into class and dropping and doing 150 push-ups before he into my seat <laughs> yeah like oh no i've made this student entirely jacked i cannot do that anymore absolutely not i could do maybe 20 but back at the time <laughs> it's, it's been like over a decade yeah <laughs> if you don't maintain it obviously it's gonna go away but yeah, uh, this chapter opens with Axe's little like uh, diary mentioning uh, human eyes because like he's like, oh, most species on Earth only have two eyes on the front of the face. They suck. <laughs> they're not. They're basically the same as our main eyes, but they're not as good as like our eye stalks, which also humans, uh, according to especially Marcos, they creep him out big time. But that's a compliment, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's like a, depends on how you take that. I guess. You know? Yeah. <laughs> Like, I mean, I could definitely see, or like, certain Andalites being like, good, if you'd say, oh, your eye ducks creep me out, and it's like, good, they should. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> yeah, 
uh, they, basically, this chapter begins with them arriving at school, and Ax notes the disparity between some students being in a rush to get to class while others seeming sad or ill, and that's just the American education system in a nutshell, my guy. <laughs> Uh, they spot Rachel and Marco approaching them through the crowd, and apparently to Axe, he only notices a person is, like, attractive in his human morph, and because Andalites don't actually notice such traits in their normal forms. So I guess only when Axe is a human is he heteronormative? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it's, it's a little weird distinction where he's like, oh, in my human form, I can agree that Rachel is hot, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's weird that that he mentions. But he also does not think of Marco as cute, so again, I guess in human, I guess human acts is heteronormative. <laughs> Even though he can choose his appearance based on their DNA. Jake then, uh, you know, maintains cover with them by introducing Philip to them while maintaining, you know, that they're trying to make it seem like they're not, like, friends in a close group fighting the alien invasion. And Axe immediately breaks his don't call me prince promise to Jake. Instantaneously. <laughs> Didn't take him very long. That's the thing again. Uh, they, <laughs> they go and enter the school, and Max has to be taught about lockers and what purpose they serve, and he has to ask Cassie why she has a photo of Jake in hers, because she can see uh, Jake whenever she wants. He's right here. <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> uh, so I guess Max doesn't know that they're kind of an item, I guess. <laughs> they they still haven't really, at this point, like, really straight, like, straight up said that they're boyfriend and girlfriend, even though the books have more or less said that without using the words. It's interesting to me that they <laughs> still haven't said that. Uh, but then this, the bell sounds off, and it scares the shit out of Axe, who takes up a defensive position against this clear and noticeable threat. But Jake explains to him that it's just a depressing sound, because that means school has begun. And he shuffles him off to first period. <laughs> uh, he tells his teacher, Mr. Pardue, which I kept wanting to say Purdue, because of the chicken brand, but no, it's Pardue. Uh, his cover story about how his so-called cousin is here just for the day, just hanging out with him. And the teacher just waves this off as a normal thing. And again, we're reminded just how 90s the series is, because you wouldn't do this today at all. I have seen this in so much 90s media mm -hmm. to the point that, like, how is this even... Is this real? Did this yeah, happen? Yeah, it's, it's like, I'm like, I mean, like, I think back to, like, Back to the Future when Marty just shows up at the school. And, like, he's just like, oh, this is my, you know, uncle, Doc Brown. And it's like, there's really no resemblance family right there. And also, how'd you get into the school without, like, any sort of papers, my guy? <laughs> Marty's just here, hanging out, just for a week, and then he disappears, never to be heard from again. <laughs> yeah, specifically the, this is my cousin from out of town game, but I have seen, like, four or five different times. Yeah. I mean, it's like, literally, that's also something that gets brought up in Stranger Things, season one, right? When they bring Elle I to school? So, yeah. yeah, like they, like they, I don't think they even come up with a name for Elle. I think she just calls herself Elle or something during that. And it's like, this is my cousin from Sweden or whatever the fuck. <laughs> That's why she doesn't speak much. <laughs> oh yeah. But they go and take their seat and actually reminds us about how he once pretended to be Jake for two days back in the capture and he did such a good job of it that uh, Jake's parents thought he had a mental illness <laughs> and had a doctor check him out. <laughs> Uh, and then he and Jake commiserate about how the deaths are uncomfortable before Mr. Pardue starts to also experience what the man the day before went through, because he also has a dying yerk in his head, apparently, with him. Axe describes it as he claws at his head enough until blood begins to boil, uh, to flow, and I'm always reminded at times just how fucking gnarly this series is for a kid's book. <laughs> 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 but yeah, that, that's the chapters I covered. We, we obviously are covering ten because this book is a little bit shorter. <laughs> Um, heads up, I may get a call in a bit from my dad. Mm -hmm. He said he'd call at 11. Uh, if All that's right. the case, I'll just let you know. 
Um, so I've called chapter seven, Leave No Witnesses. Uh, and teacher's screaming. Teacher's screaming, clawing at his head. Um, he starts arguing with himself. He, he, he yells, stop damaging our body. And then, uh, responds with, get out of my head, get out of, get out of my head. Um, and Jake responds to this under his breath, uh, saying that this makes two of them. Um, he and Axe have a short conversation. Axe asks if, asks if Jake knew that the teacher was a controller. Uh, Jake responded, no, he always seemed like a nice guy. I don't know, he seemed kind of brusque to me, but sometimes, you know, the teachers are like that. Um, <laughs> so, uh, Jake rushes up to, like, to the teacher's side. Um, you know, he's, he's, he's got that sort of compassionate spirit, so he's, he's right up there, but, but, um, you know, Axe is very nervous about that. He snaps Prince Jake, uh, and Jake does not say, don't call me Prince. Um, I think there is a point back here where he does that we missed on the counter during one of Vivian's chapters. Uh, I, did, I did bring it up to, there was twice in the last chapter where he called him Prince and I said thing. And also, oh, okay. and also in the previous, uh, yeah. earlier, you know, short chapter when he meets up with Jake and Cassie and immediately mm-hmm. calls him Prince and he's like, don't call me Prince while we're at school, that's gonna be bad. So it's three yeah. in those. Well, that's because okay. we didn't really chat about it, but specifically the counter isn't for when he says Prince Jake. It's for when it's where we say he doesn't, don't call me Prince. And that specific phrase isn't actually uttered, but there is, um, you're not going to call me Prince uh, Jake today, are you? So yeah. I don't know if we count that. In, cha- in, cha- in chapter think... six, in chapter six, Marco made a smile with his mouth. You were from way out of state. Uh, don't call me Prince. Okay, prince so there's one. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think if he's um, like you're not gonna call me Prince today, I think that's close enough that we have to count it. Uh, no, it's not in response to to X saying don't call, to, saying Prince Jake. Yeah, uh, specific, it's, it's like it's a question, thing. not an order. Yeah. Hmm. No, but we do get one where where definitely get the does one. call does end up calling uh Jake Prince Jake in the hallways of the school, and then Jake says don't call me Prince. So that's one of them. Um. So, Jake does something kind of, um, unfortunate here, or kind of, uh, risky. He whispers to Mr. Pardue that he's been there, that he's had a yerk in his head, and that yerk did die, um, that he survived, so he just tells him to hang on. (laughs) Uh, Axe thinks this is dangerous, foolish behavior, um. Suddenly, the the room opens and Chapman walks in, who, as we all know, is a high-ranking controller. We get the reminder for that. Chapman orders all the kids out. Um, and everyone goes, but Jake doesn't move. Uh, Chapman looks at Axe and then back at, at Jake and says, uh, tells the, like, repeats the order, says, Jake, you and your friend get out. Um... Jake doesn't move. Axe actually starts, like, pulling Jake up by his arm, says we have to go, uh, and Jake begrudgingly agrees, but he does say to Chapman, he will get better, won't he, Mr. Chapman? And then Chapman just, like, responds in the most non, like, assistant principal type way, just (laughs) says, who can say? Which, like, if a teacher is having a fit, just, like, on the ground, yeah. clawing at his own head, and then a student asks, will our teacher be okay? 
I don't think. I, yeah, I don't that think you an want. Assistant principal's gonna respond with, I don't know, maybe not. <laughs> yeah, you, you probably want to like alleviate the kids' concerns a little bit, being like, oh, don't worry, we have paramedics on the way. They'll help them out. <laughs> You know, yeah, even if you know like, it's a lie. Say, and also, like, you know? Chapman's supposed to be maintaining cover here. He should not just be like, eh, I don't fucking know. <laughs> it's, it's, not, it's not even I don't fucking know. It's like a cold who can say. It's like a, it's like a threat, almost. Mm. You know? And, and, when, and, and to that point, after, um, after Jake leaves, Chapman pulls out the same short steel cylinder, uh, and then presses it against the neck of the teacher, who falls silent. And again, this is why it's not a gun. It's just like a silent, perfectly traceless method of killing someone <laughs> that, we, that, that we never, ever see again. Uh, so Pardue falls silent, and um, Jake and Axe run outside. He's gasping at the air. He's probably having like an anxiety attack, uh, because Axe asks him if he's sick. And then Jake is is livid because he knows what just happened. He knows that Chapman just killed Pardue, and the reason for that is because they destroyed the Candrona, and they didn't know this would happen when they did that. Um, Axe tries to to console Jake by saying that that destroying the Candrona was was a, a great victory against the Yerks, but uh, Jake sort of respond uh, J- Jake isn't isn't uh isn't comforted by this. He- he's just <laughs> still stuck on the fact that that Chapman killed both the Yerk and Pardew. Uh Axe says, "Listen, the Yerks can't allow witnesses." Um and then Jake says like this is going to happen every time uh Yerks host uh, sorry uh, to a host every time the Yerk dies. Uh and then Axe agrees. And Jake is feeling guilty about this. He says, we did this. Axe responds, it's war. Uh, and then Jake brings up his brother. So Axe has no answer to this. <laughs> and then Jake presses the actual issue here, which is that Axe knew that this would happen. And Axe agrees, yes, he knew that the Earths would respond this way. Uh, to be fair, Jake shouldn't asks how? Like to be fair, shouldn't they also have kind of expected that Yurk would do everything in their power to try to cover up this, just because they're trying to literally take over the planet? I mean, yeah, but they're like twelve and naive. I guess. Know? I guess they would. They, always... they might not. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, it's it's just like it's um, like it was like such a like obvious thing to me. I guess that it's like yeah, of course. Like no, if they, they started happening, that they would do everything they, possible to like had kill a, these people. They had a night. They had a naive view of this, that, like, Yerks would be dying left and right, and that the controllers would be free to tell the truth. And and, and that was the idea they had when they were destroying the Kondrona. Mm-hmm. I mean, this was mentioned back in, in Rachel's book. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Axe heard this being said and didn't respond to it by correcting them. Yeah. Um, and he knew that that would happen because, as he says here in this chapter, it's happened before. Uh, although... This might have been a little bit of a retcon. I think the Earth, this, the, the Earth is the first planet that the Yerks have infiltrated in this way. It That's is, not what yes. Axe says here. Yeah, it's basically he established that. The, he says that, that, that this is like an established pattern that the Yerks don't leave witnesses. Um, Jake responds that he doesn't like Axe keeping secrets. Uh, that, you know, if if he had told them um, 
Like I said, that's later. Sorry. Uh, he says that, you know, terrible things happen in war. Um, and this is, this is part of that. Uh, he says, love the warrior, hate the war, which is like, you know, love the, <laughs> uh, that's being like, you gotta respect the troops. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so Jake responds like, is that an old, like, old Andalite saying? And, and Axe says that his brother used to say that. So that's something that Elfangor used to say. Um, Jake responds by saying that it feels like, in some sense, humans are just pawns between the Andalites and the Yurks. Uh, and like, yeah, I mean, that's kind of what wars of colonization kind of turn into, don't yeah. they? I mean, we have two very powerful galactic, uh, like, galactic nations, galactic powers, fighting over territory with very little agency compared to theirs. You know, this is always going to be what happens. The humans, of course, are going to end up as pawns in the game because this happens every time. Like, just ask uh, anywhere on Earth that's ever been colonized. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yep. Uh, so, Axe, though, responds that's not the way it is. Uh, his anger is, is diminishing. He he was angry at at Jake's you know accusing tone, but now he's st that's starting to subside because he kind of understands where Jake is coming from here. I would think. Uh, <laughs> Jake says that you know, Axe fights alongside them, and as far as he's concerned, he's one of them. But now he's keeping secrets, and if he's keeping secrets, then he can't be trusted, uh, because you know, what else? What other secret could he be keeping? Uh, you know, he, he says that they had a right to know this is what might have happened if they destroyed the Kindrona. And then Axe says, well, if I told you that, then you might not have done it. And then Jake just says that Axe knows nothing about humans <laughs> and that he's right to try and learn about them. I, I kind of read um, that admission by Jake as in, like, he would have... Like, even if he knew, he would go through with it anyway? I don't know. Yeah, 100%. I think he would have. I think he would have taken that risk. But he had a right to know about the risk yeah. before he engaged in it. And it was wrong of Axe not to tell them that, that would be the thing that would happen. Especially since Axe heard them saying things to the contrary. But he was, also, he's also a kid, and he was afraid that if he told them, then they wouldn't have gone through with it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think I think the kids are willing to do whatever it takes to win, because they understand the stakes here. I, I think that, that Jake definitely would have still destroyed the Kendrona, even knowing that Tom could have died. Yeah. Um, and obviously also, like, I mean, it's something that Jake has to process that. It's like, technically they haven't done this. Just because they created the scenario where the Yorks are going around silencing people who are starting to break free, it's like, that's still the Yorks' decision to do that. That's not on them. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, they no, might have created not. this scenario of that being necessary by the Yorks, but it's like it's not like they're the ones pulling the trigger. <laughs> well, also, also there's there's even a, a point previously where where Jake did knowingly put Tom's life at risk in order to win, yeah. which yeah. was in book six. So he could, when they so he could the yeah, so he could jacuzzi all those Yorks. <laughs> Be because because they knew that if Tom failed, then there was a chance Viserfi would kill him, mm -hmm. and they did it anyway. So, I think Axe should have put more trust in them. He's not really, like, earning that trust here. And I think that's kind of the, the main thrust of this book. Yeah. I called chapter, uh, chapter 8, who's on first. <laughs> uh, 
It starts with a quote. Oh, boy. <laughs> that I really like. And it goes, An Andalite may think that humans are simple, open, trusting creatures, but they are more subtle than they seem to be at first. Possibly this is because of their spoken language, where no word ever means just one thing. And boy, is that true. Uh, <laughs> Axe is being like, why can't you just tell me the meaning of your words? <laughs> like every other diver neurodivergent person wants. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I know, right? This is, this is definitely how I feel. Um, so, at this point, Axe is feeling very down um he he he's feeling alone as he's mentioned before the humans are all he really has right now his only friends in this world his only friends within light years and he can never actually be true shorms with them because of the secrets he has to keep uh the anger and suspicion that he's facing from them has hurt him uh but he's got to realize, of course, that there's a reason for them to be angry and suspicious with him. And honestly, a pretty good one, to be fair. At this point, uh, he has been invited to, quote-unquote, hang out with Marco. <laughs> uh, Marco has never really been friendly to him. Uh, Cassie, Tobias, and Jake have. Rachel has. But, uh, but Marco got him to come along with his spying on that girl mission last book. <laughs> yeah. Although I mean, actually, I guess admit that it was mostly just to but make sure if, Marco didn't get up to some shit. <laughs> I think, I think, really, that was more of a case of Marco manipulating Axe into doing something stupid. Yeah. Um, I mean, because he also Rachel's also was that the same book where he was also being like, "Oh, I have fleas, and Marco will give me the rare medicine to deal with the yep. fleas." Yeah. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yeah. And that, that was that's the, Marco's the... just being a dick. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Rachel's also never really seemed to trust Axe. Uh, Marco basically asks if, if Axe wants to be Pinocchio, wants to be a real live human. Uh, Axe says no, he just wants to study human and humans, and Marco says, oh, what a coincidence, I want to study Andalites. Uh, Axe, at this point, guesses that Jake pressed Marco to, like, asked Marco to press Axe for information. Um, and Marco says, yeah, basically. Uh, Marco <laughs> thought that he could, like, weasel information out of Axe, but Jake asked him to take a different tack to show them that humans have nothing to hide, so Andalites shouldn't either. To that end, they're going to a bookstore uh, so that he can learn more about human society. Axe says that he has reasons for keeping secrets, uh, and Marco <laughs> mentions that Rachel's, uh, Rachel thinks that he's that Axe is probably not allowed to interfere with primitive races. So basically, it's a prime directive thing. It's interesting that Rachel's the one who brought up the prime directive thing when Marco is the one who canon knows Star Trek. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like Rachel also probably knows a little bit about Star Trek. Oh, Ra um, Rachel probably has definitely heard, like, had to sit there while Jake and Marco talk about it. Like, at one point, when, like, she was over at, like, Jake's place or being, like, just being like, oh, these boys talk about boy stuff. <laughs> so she probably just <laughs> overheard it as a result. <laughs> So Axe is surprised at that because it's very close to the truth. It's not the whole truth. We'll learn more about that later. Uh, but it is essentially the cent the central idea is that Andalites aren't allowed to interfere with primitive races, uh, quote unquote. I don't like the word primitive when applied to 
Yeah, you know, that's, sentient that's, people. That's why I use like uh, the weirdly enough the Star Ocean term of underdeveloped worlds. I'm like, oh, you're not, you're not. I mean, that's like more like you don't have space travel, so we should not introduce like under, space travel. The the under prefix seems a bit yeah. judgmental to me. I mean, yeah. hey, there's there's a lot of think, problems with Star that, Ocean. To be fair, <laughs> I think I think it's just I think it's just better to describe like types of society. Like on Earth, mm-hmm. we have agricultural, uh, herding, pastoral, hunter gatherer. Yeah. Um, these are just different ways of living that aren't necessarily more or less developed. Mm-hmm. They're just kind of like you doing you, you know? Yeah. And that's fine. Um, like, it's a big thing in, like, that third game where it's like, oh, they're, like, close enough to figuring out copper wiring, so I don't think us really introducing them to copper wire in, would be that, that worse, that bad or something. Well, like, in, in Star Trek, it's based on are they pre-warp or are they post-warp? Yeah. Like, if they're pre-warp, that's the dividing line. Mm-hmm. If they're pre-warp, we don't mess with them. If they're post-warp, we can have, like, some kind of interaction with them. Yeah. Which is why, like, as soon as Zephram Cochran invents the warp drive, the Vulcans show up and they say, Hey, we're Vulcans, we're aliens, uh, please don't <laughs> blow us up or whatever. Uh, we're extending a hand to friendship. Just just understand that. Again, compared uh, to humanity finding the Turians and immediately being like, Guess we're fighting. <laughs> yep. Well, that was well, a that was a bit of a, a misunderstanding. Yeah, and also, <laughs> if I remember my Mass Effect correctly, the Turians fired first because the humans were just they going did. around activating whatever random magic space junk they could find against the rules. Yeah, yeah, and they didn't know that was against Galactic Law, and the Turians are the space police, so they're like, "Hey, don't!" Actually, they didn't even say "don't do that." They just straight up attacked. Yeah. Also, apparently, yeah. apparently, the first contact war also only lasted three months. <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, they managed to figure things like the humans were like, "Oh, this is a bad idea. Oh, this caused a big war with bugs." Yeah. Okay, we won't do it anymore. That's a good. That's a good point. <laughs> but we're gonna leave all of these open that we did open because we have colonies there now. So. Ah, <laughs> uh, okay. I, I yeah, reading into it, like apparently humanity was trying to like restart a relay that was related yeah. to Rocket Wars, and then they were like, "That's bad." <laughs> yeah. That's, don't, do that. that's, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> don't do that. That's. Yeah. Don't do that. Um, so, yeah, they go to the bookstore, uh, or they start going to the bookstore, but it turns out that they they pooled money to buy Axe books, which, like, I like this about the kids. They're suspicious (laughs) and angry of Axe, and you know what they do? You know what they respond with? They pool together their money in order to show (laughs) Axe some kindness, Mm -hmm. to show Axe that they can trust them. It's like, it's 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 just it's just a great way to respond like the, to this kind like of thing. Being like, because like, being real shifty. Let's buy him a book. Let's buy <laughs> let's buy him some books. Let's buy him some books. Yeah, um, it's, it's very cute. Yes, let's it's, like a, it's like a kill him with kindness kind of thing, you know. Uh, so it turns out that Marco left the money on his desk at home, though, so they have to go back to Marco's house. Uh, and this is this is this is important for plot reasons. It's like the, it, um, it's such a flimsy way to actually also get into the plot. It's kind of scoopy. <laughs> like, I don't oh know. My. Have you never left something important at home? I and mean, you have to go yeah, back for it? but like the whole point of this little trip is to go and get him the books. And it's like you'd think that Marco would make sure to have the money before he left and go get the books. <laughs> well, uh, okay, but like, yeah, I, I, see, here's the thing. I would do the exact same thing Marco did. <laughs> like. I would def. I am the kind of person who would definitely forget the money on my desk. I mean, I guess I, I 
I guess there was the fact that, like, I say that, and meanwhile, when I went and did my, like, first name change, I did leave all my paperwork for the name change in my car, so I had to walk back there to go then to the social security office again. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, whoops, uh, I, I, and I'm sorry, and I'm sorry about the asshole outside in the, mm-hmm. in the souped-up car driving, like, 60 miles an hour down a road you should not drive 60 miles an hour down. Eh, um, no worries. So... And making making sounds to, to 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 mess with our recording. Um, so they have to go back to Marco's house. Uh, and at first, Axe mistakes it for Jake's house, but Marco just says it's the same model because this is a suburban hill where there are only five kinds of houses. Uh, and Axe, like at this point, notices, yeah, wait, there are only five types of houses. Um. <laughs> Though some have have more more grass, some have less. Some have interesting items that are placed on the grass, and he sees a big wheel and thinks it's it's a uh, it's decoration. What's a, what's uh, and a then big Marco, wheel? Huh? What's a big wheel? A big wheel is like a like one of those little toy plastic tricycles with the oh, front wheel. Gotcha. Okay. Like three like top that are made for like toddlers. I was like thinking like um, is he describing like some sort of like lawn ornament or something from the nineties? I just did not remember. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, I it's... think he is talking about a lawn ornament here, because he's talking really? about items that have been placed on the grass. I mean, I could. Well, do... Yeah, but if they're like, if if it, I was thinking like a toddler had left a yeah, left kid, their kid, big wheel. Kids leave their toys outside the all the time. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's what a, that's what a big wheel is. It's like one of those little toddler tricycles. Uh, I think, and I could be mistaken here, but I think some people colloquially use it as a like alternate word for pinwheel i don't think so. like I, I, i'm googling big wheel now and it's exactly what i think also Axe says it's colorful and that definitely describes like a, a toy well, some some pinwheels are also want. like rainbow colors to say when they spin it yeah all fancy well i mean i i all i'm saying is i i'm, pre- I'm pretty yeah, sure i, I, I googled big toys. wheel like 1995 just to have a year on the time and like i do see big wheel which is like the tricycle so i think it's mm. more it's supposed to be that yeah well, and and Marco makes a joke that they can't give Andalites big wheel technology because who knows what they'd do with it. Um, <laughs> Make Axe a big so, big wheel so he can ride it while being in his centaur form. <laughs> they arrive at Marco's dad's home, Marco's home, I guess. Just they, both their home, you know. It's it, they, they both huh. live there, uh, and Marco cautions Axe. Listen, don't act weird if. My dad asks you a question, just say yes or no. Yes and no answers only. Which, like, Marco should realize this is gonna cause some problems later. Of course But Axe agrees to this. (laughs) So, uh, when they get inside, Axe notices a computer on the table. Now, Marco's dad is working from home because he sprained his ankle, but he does have that new job working with, like, the astronomy observatory place. Uh, and there's some, uh, there's something up on the computer that Axe thinks is a game where you have to spot the errors in a quote primitive symbolic language and correct them uh so he sits down to play to quote play the game uh and rewrites this computer code to make sense of the errors this will definitely not cause problems later (laughs) (laughs) at this point uh marco's dad enters and he says hello. He's surprised to see Axe there. Um, 
he asks if, if he's a friend of, of Marco's, and Axe answers yes. Uh, he asks what Axe's name is, and Axe can't like answer <laughs> anything but yes or no, because he said for Marco, so he just says no. Axe.exe has encountered a fatal error. <laughs> Please reboot. We get this uh, sort of Abbott and Costello routine where Axe is just giving yes or no answers to questions that are not yes or no questions. Uh, and Marco's dad ends up thinking that Axe's name is no and is very confused by the whole interaction. Um, Marco comes back down to, you know, see that that uh, Axe has met his dad uh, and they leave as quickly as they can <laughs> to avoid any further awkward interactions as they go to the bookstore. I, I especially like Marco's dad saying, no, I'm totally confused, and Axe just says, yes. <laughs> uh, I've called chapter 9, Axe accidentally breaks the prime directive. Yeah, uh, that's what happens here. Like, much like also, his brother. <laughs> this, this quote is extremely 90s, the one it starts with. Books are an amazing human invention. They allow instant access to information simply by turning pieces of paper. They are much faster to use than computers. Surprisingly, humans invented books before computers. They do many things backward, which is very, like, clear. Like, it's clearly this is from an era where it took, like, a minute to load an internet page. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, and I, I do feel like as much as uh, K.A. Applegate sort of values technology and love science fiction uh she does have this kind of like old stuff is better attitude that is is weirdly weirdly in some ways i don't mean this in in a bad way necessarily just like an interesting parallel uh kind of similar to jk rowling's obsession with old stuff you know like yeah, like things, things are new. Like, Wizards will use quills for no reason. Like things are different and, and new, and I hate it. <laughs> kind of deal. <laughs> even though ballpoint pens exist and would not be messed with by magic, wizards use quills that you have to dip in ink. Uh, and also, they refuse to use regular mail. They have to send it with a bird, because <laughs> birds are definitely not at all uh, possible to like get intercepted or hurt along the way. <laughs> oh no, they're magic birds. A wizard did it. Um. I don't know. I really don't see that in most of her writing. It's just these little axe blurbs. And even then, it's just very... I feel like Axe specifically would be much less chill with books if he knew that they were dead trees. You know what I'm saying? That kind of goes against the end of life yeah, ethos. Yeah, like, I can imagine I that guess... conversation where he's like, wow, you have such great technology. You're way better than computers. It's like, oh, and then like one of the kids is like, oh, yeah, like we, we make paper from trees. And he's like, the fuck did you just say? You're killing guess, nature for I guess, this. I guess I get the impression. <laughs> I guess I get the impression that she's a little bit dismissive of like the internet, but honestly, it's not hard to be dismissive of the internet in the '90s. It wasn't. It wasn't quite the World Wide Web we know today. Yeah, yeah there were I mean, what, not, five websites. <laughs> I mean, like, like, he, like, come on, MySpace didn't even exist yet. Yeah. You know? Like, it's like, you know, compared to, like, these days where it's, like, most people actually, like, stay in contact with people over the internet compared to then where they were like, you gotta go out and be, like, you gotta go play t-ball with the kids, you can't be on the computer talking to people or whatever the well, fuck. You should, you should, you should still go out and play yeah, t-ball with the kids. You should, yeah. You can, you can arrange, you can arrange that on the internet, yeah. you know? You can... You still gotta get out there and touch grass every once in a while. <laughs> yeah. But you can, like, make arrangements to touch grass on the internet. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so, 
Axe has been reading the World Almanac. He bought it at the bookstore. And now he knows a bunch of interesting facts. Uh, like the fact that 12% of households have a dehumidifier. And that humans used to believe the sun over to the earth. And hey, did you know sheep can live for 20 years? Stuff like that. <laughs> and this is not going to stop with this book, by the way. Oh, fuck. Nope. I mean, Axe will love his almanac I mean, for a very long he, time. He was pretty thrilled about being at the correct marker and be like, some nations use kilometers, not miles. <laughs> yeah. Still don't so know how you, he learned that, though. Yeah, I, I, no idea, Jeez. but it's like it was very funny. He's like, um, actually, uh, European countries use kilometers, can Marco. You, <laughs> can you imagine if Axe had arrived in an era where he had access to Wikipedia? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, uh, it's definitely like, uh, like Axe is staying over at Jake's house while his parents are out of town, and like he sees Axe on his computer at like 4 a.m. when he like gets up to go to the bathroom. Like, Axe, please go to bed. He's like, but I'm on TV tropes. <laughs> I've, I've, Did you listen, know this? Axe has fallen into a wiki hole. Oh no. <laughs> he will never come out. Uh, like we should have just kept him on YouTube so, watching cat videos. Now he's watching alt-right stuff. <laughs> oh no. No, but eventually he's going to be like led over to some, I don't know, uh, long video essay about some <laughs> particular show from 10 years ago. I don't know. Axe is uh, watching the almost two-hour-long Fastpass video on repeat because he wants to memorize it. <laughs> last night, a friend of mine sent me a five-hour video essay about iCarly. Oh, boy. A show I've never seen. <laughs> but I started watching it, and I'm like, I have to finish this later. This is actually fascinating. <laughs> I mean, yeah, but it's like, again, like, oh, how can Kevin Perger make, like, 90 or, like, 100 minutes on just Fastpass? Turns out, because Fastpass was fucked. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, Axe is also, he, he, he finds the, the almanac to be wonderful, but he, he also is a little bit, maybe, I, there might be a little bit of, of, of sense of, of being disturbed here, because he notices that, like, humans took only 66 years to go from the flying machine to, like, the Wright Brothers airplane to the moon landing, and apparently it took Andalites about three times as long to do that. Uh, so he figures that, like, at some point, humans could become one of the great species of the galaxy, but of course, <laughs> never as good as Andalites. Obviously. Well, naturally. <laughs> I, I also like how he has to include their, like, if they survive. <laughs> yeah, if they survive. You know, if, which, if, uh, you know, hey. if, we, if we don't win against the Yurks, then don't worry about that. But if they do survive against the Yurks, then, you know, maybe. <laughs> If we're going on Star Trek timeline, we still gotta get through World War Three. <laughs> oh no. Yep. Um and the Bell Riots are due soon, so <laughs> So uh Yeah. He um is standing there, one hoof in the water, drinking, not through his butt, <laughs> but in fact through his hoof, which is what Andalite and drink through. Just gotta remind me. <laughs> yep. Um when Ak when Tobias shows up. And he's like, hey, Axe, everyone's looking for you. Okay, so all the kids show up. Like, all of them are here. Uh, and they're pretty incensed. They're pretty upset. Uh, Marco, so, so, like, he asks them what's the matter, and Marco's like, what's the matter? Uh, it, it, they, they demorph from, from bird shape. We get the, the hint that Cassie is an estrine. This is the first, I think, mention of estrines. Like, estrine as a word, which is someone who's, who's good at morphing. And apparently, also me, according to nobody. <laughs> um, 
so Cassie doesn't have the professional talent, but she has like if she I feel like if she were to train professionally, she she could get as good as the the professional estrines on the end of the light homeworld. Um and at this point, uh we're no longer concerned about that though, because we have bigger issues. Uh <laughs> Marco is, uh, Marco's mouth reappears and he says, what did you do? Um, Axe is confused at this. He doesn't know what they're talking about. And then Marco mentions his dad's computer, something he did to it. And then Axe says, like, what do you mean? I just played a game. I was just playing Oregon Trail on your dad's computer, Marco. (laughs) Yeah, Marco responds by saying, that's not a game. That's my dad's work. And then... Axe is like, oh, I see, your dad designs games for children. And then Marco's like, no, he, he he's a software programmer working with astronomers at an observatory. <laughs> and then Axe is like, oh, uh, oh, oh, oh no. Uh, I assume that was a child's game. <laughs> so it turns out that uh, Axe sort of accidentally set human science ahead by a couple of centuries. What? And <laughs> now at Marco's dad thinks that... Hit that Marco's friend, quote-unquote, no, is some kind of genius. And Marco had to in- convince him that it was an accident, that he's an idiot, and did not intentionally open up entirely new realms of programming and science. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so now they have to fix that problem. <laughs> uh, because with the kind of sensor that that Marco's dad is working on, uh, the kinds of changes that Axe made to it would theoretically allow humans to break into zero space, which is the uh, faster-than-light realm that Andalites use to travel and communicate, and all other, you know, Z-space-capable species. I do like how when they're describing this, the Axe, he gets distracted by being like, oh yeah, I read about Einstein in the World Almanac. <laughs> it's like, Axe, focus please. <laughs> So after all of his trouble not to break the law of Zero's kindness, he sort of accidentally <laughs> broke the law of Zero's kindness. <laughs> Again, much like his brother, although in this case it was accidental, not intentional. <laughs> but he can't tell them that. Uh, so he just kind of dodges the question as to like what, what the big deal is with this. Um, and his duty is clear. They ask him, like, what is this? What's up with you? Uh, what are you hiding? And Axe responds by lying. I'm not hiding anything. Nothing at all. And <laughs> that's where we end our chapters for this week. Yeah, this is definitely not going to cause more <sighs> problems already than what's going on, Axe. <laughs> yeah, see... I'm sure it's fine. Like, I don't... I guess I don't <laughs> see what, like... He could be like, yeah, I fucked up, but also I could use this to contact my home before I destroy it, because obviously they agree they have to fix this problem. Because, like, the kids aren't mm-hmm. against that. It's like, I don't get what lying here helps him at all. Because, <laughs> like, be so obvious. It's like, yeah, I could contact the Andalites, but also we gotta destroy this. I agree with that. <laughs> but, yeah, no. Nah. Well, problem is, is that... So... <sighs> If he tells them that he could use this to communicate with his homeworld, he risks the possibility of them finding out about warp travel, because this is a warp communications device, if it works. So he cannot tell them that, because he cannot risk them finding 
that warp technology is a thing. Even if these kids specifically would not, like, but know what to do with it or how to use the it, issue, they would know about the issue, it, and that's unacceptable. The issue there that I'm seeing is, like, the kids already know that, like, he's, like, you know, doing super computer stuff that, like, humans aren't capable of. So it's, like, what is confirming that really tell them that they don't well, already it's, know? It's it's the difference between knowing that advanced technology exists, which obviously it does, there's aliens and stuff, <laughs> and knowing specifically what that technology is. Um, and, like, hu- like, they know there is a way for faster than light travel to occur, they don't know about Z-space, specifically. I- Exactly. Uh, Isn't it? I'm pretty sure and, didn't Axe just tell them what Z-Space is back when they were trying to make the communication device in, like, Book 5, though? I, yeah, there, there was a mention of a Z-Space transponder, so he's already, he's he's been inconsistent about it. Yeah, um, like, that's, I guess that's also the thing I don't get. Like, if he's trying to keep this knowledge from them, even though they know that he, you know, has managed to, like, accidentally push humanity's science ahead like a century or so i think it's also less about that and more about okay so axe is nervous not just about telling the humans about the technology but also telling the humans the reason that he can't tell them about the technology it's it's like he's mentioned the law of law of zero's kindness i think axe is more concerned about telling the humans about the law of zero's kindness than he is about the technology that's certainly probably true but i think the other factor here is that he doesn't and certainly not in the earlier book i don't think he realizes how far behind humans are technologically like in this instance he thought he literally thought he was playing yeah. a children's game. He didn't think he was inventing a new technology entirely. So earlier, yeah. he didn't like explain the principles of Z-Space, but he said he needed a Z-Space transponder, assuming that they knew what that was. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's true. Uh, so that that's possible. He might not have known before. Um, I also think that, that the thrust of this isn't necessarily that he's like... Um, it's, it's, it's not necessarily that he's uh wanting to like it, it is that he's wanting to keep the technology from the humans but he's also not wanting to tell them why he can't tell them you know what i mean so he has to keep these secrets also i should mention this at the very end it's it's um he, he mentions that before like he could theoretically use this new technology that he's introduced and the radio telescope to send a z-space signal to his family which he plans on doing. Uh, so he's going to try and like use the technology he's introduced for his own relatively selfish purposes. Uh, and he's not telling anyone about that. So that's <laughs> another secret he's keeping. I guess if he does communicate back home, they would be like, yo, what the fuck? Well, how did you get the ability to talk to us from Earth, of all places? But still. Yeah, that... That definitely, uh, that, that might be an issue later, certainly. <laughs> but I still feel like maybe it would be, like, forgiven if he's like, I had to do that because the Yurks are on this planet and are winning, please send help. <laughs> the way, all I'll say is the way that goes is very interesting. Hmm. <laughs> and we'll certainly be talking about that next week when we're back for the back half of this book. Because this one's only going to last us two weeks, folks. It's a short one. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a weird one, because again, it is only like 22 chapters total with the prologue, but the chapters themselves are a little bit longer than most of the other books. 
Yeah. Um, do we have closing thoughts for this segment of the book? Uh, no, I just, I really like this book. It's one of my favorites. I've read it like 30 times. Uh, and it's, it's just great. I, I love, um, getting to know Axe a little bit more. Uh, <laughs> and I like where this book will go. So I'm excited for, for, for the latter half. It's so nice to get a chance to see inside his head. <laughs> and I do, yeah. I do also like the fact that the book is like jumping into things sooner than most of the other ones do. Cause it's like, it's in like what? chapter two or three where it's like oh there's a guy screaming about yorks as it's dying in its head and it's like all right that's yeah. setting up for like shit that's popping off so it's like compared to like <laughs> most of the other ones yeah. where it's like they spend like the first five chapters being like i was testing out this morph because i wanted to catch a fox <laughs> it's also though like the the Yur- the yorks dying is not the main plot of the book yeah but uh, it is something least, that at least has something off. happen yeah yeah it's it's because the, the book is really more about Axe and Axe's internal mm-hmm. struggle and his like sort of should I tell my friends about this shit? Shouldn't I tell my friends about this shit? Mm-hmm. And uh, that's really more what it's about. So we'll get into the conclusion of sort of this 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 uh, Andalite versus self conflict. Yeah. Uh, All right. Uh, next week. We absolutely will. Uh, so just some quick wrap-up. We missed a couple of kills last week because mm-hmm. Visser 3 killed a guy semi-off-screen that we just kind of glossed over. We didn't see it. So he's going to slide right up top. Jake is still in first place, obviously. Visser 3 is just barely in second with 11.5 kills. Rachel is at 11.25, so she's right in there. <laughs> Wait, how did we still get 0.25 again? <laughs> Uh, because you made me divide Temrash among all oh, of them. Oh, right. <laughs> because they are all responsible for Temrash. <laughs> they all have a part to play in keeping him at bay, except Axe, because Axe is busy pretending to be Jake. <laughs> yes, uh, we have no thermals so far in this book, and one Don't Call Me Prince, which takes our counter for that to the series up to three. And finally, there was a point near the back half of the episode where I went quiet. That's because I was chasing a lead, and guess what? I managed to find that bookmark. Yay! Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. That brings back memories. Hey, where's, this one where's has the bite not mark? been torn. There's uh... a dotted line in the upper left-hand corner mm-hmm. to simulate X's bite mark, but this is an intact yep. version of it, so... Uh, okay. Yeah. How come this Megamorse after the alien? <laughs> Takes place before, obviously. Because it lists the Megamorphs as a separate series, it's like... I guess. We know that it happens before this previously, but you'll see this going forward with the Animorphs books. They list the Megamorphs as, like, a separate sub-series rather than part of the main series, mm-hmm. which is inaccurate, but mm-hmm. that's what the book series yeah. did. Yeah. Well, I... This this bookmark is a blast from the past. It definitely <laughs> brings back memories. I 100% had this bookmark. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, so... But yeah. Uh, we, do we have anything else to say before we have our sign out? I don't believe they. we do. I think we're basically just here to say that Ciro did nothing wrong. Despite the fact that the Andalites have an entire law about him, Ciro did nothing wrong. I still can't say one way or another if he did, but at the same time, if they have a law about it, something about that tells me he's done something wrong. But who can say, except for the two of you, obviously. <laughs> nah, it's propaganda. It's all propaganda. <laughs> uh, Don't believe the Andalites lies, but also believe everything the Andalites say. <laughs> uh, Alright, bye!